This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Gifts we gave, but more you took, she snarled. So more, in turn, is due. In a blink, the girl was trapped inside a mirror. Her parents, though, had searched all day and at last arrived. With rampant rage, father fought the witch, while mother's loving touch shattered the dark enchantment. But the witch was strong, and father yelled, Save our daughter! So mother bore their child to safety as the forest was consumed. Even now, the burnt forest is a grim reminder of father's sacrifice. To this day, any child who stares too long into the charred wasteland will be haunted by nightmares of getting lost while picking berries. Stella at Hawkass Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 207, the Resident Evil 8 Village Discussion Special for June MMXXI. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store, offering uh, an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. 
Midnight moon rises on black wings. We await the light at the end. In life and in death, glory to Mother Miranda. When you're whining, we're almost there. <laughs> Where are you? Hello. If there are any survivors out there, come to my... to Louisa's house near the fields. Oh no! They're coming! Who is? What the hell was that? Stop shouting. You'll draw the monsters. Tell me what is going on around here. It doesn't make any sense. Mother Miranda has always protected us. You escaped my little brother's idiot games, did you? Let's see how special you are. Is this all that's left from your entire village? All that's left? There is no one left! We can bust out with this. Lycans and gentlemen, we thank you for waiting. And now let the games begin! There is no safe! Every sorry bastard out there has been ripped in half! Tomorrow we'll all be dead. No, let me go! I gotta say, I'm surprised you made it this far. It'd be a shame if something happened to you now. You killed Mia. Now do me and finish the job. Well, the theme of this episode, besides Resident Evil 8, is actually unrequited love because the guy with me has unrequited love for Lady Dimitrescu and I have unrequited love for this guy that's with me here. So <laughs> this this attractive man fish thing uh, is Harold. He was with me before. So welcome back to the show to talk about another video game. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> and it's another horror survival horror horror action video game so that seems to be how our talking points yes i'm a specialist in this genre i've played <laughs> two games of it oh no well what One about last half, of i us? guess well yeah that's yes i played last of us and part two yeah and part of resident evil 8 village okay yeah yes we we shall certainly be talking about that and we said earlier on that because we've had these dark shows that we definitely need a refresher 
sometime in the future, which we already know what we're going to do. We just have to put in the legwork in order to do it. Yes. Yes. Big plans, big dreams require big labor. Absolutely. Oh, that was good. Was that a Herald quote or was that another quote? I think that was Natalie and Brugelia. No, I don't know. That was me. (laughs) Torn, that classic song. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's my idol. Oh, I had no idea. (laughs) So we are going to be talking about the recently released Resident Evil 8, also known as Resident Evil Village. And I do want to talk about our history with the Resident Evil games. And also, if you want to pick up this, like, why did you decide to buy Village in particular? And I will also ask if you liked the game and then i'll tell our listeners and viewers you know a bit of a you know caveat as we're going through and this is true of last of us because we laid out what we thought of it right away just so you could tell as our discussion progressed like this is where we were coming from and of course we're biased so just starting with history of of resident evil games what is your history or just resident evil i should say because we have a similar history in terms of theatrical releases i think (laughs) yes indeed and our resident evil is definitely a cornerstone of our our partnership here yeah um and for me resident evil is just one of those big sci-fi media franchises so i naturally gravitate towards it like i do with alien or predator or anything like that but the difference is that it's a video game and i am despite my nerd-like appearance which i dispute (laughs) <laughs> I am actually very bad, very bad at video games. Um, this is just sad, really, because it's, you know, it's kept me from so many. But like something like The Last of Us was pretty easy because that's, you know, quote unquote, more cinematic. Um, and we'll talk about that. But Resident Evil trends towards puzzle games. So really, the only Resident Evil that I was able to play was Resident Evil 5, um, which was not only more action oriented, but also co-op. So if I, I don't even know if I played it well, because my partner probably just, you know, <laughs> helped me through the whole thing. but. Uh, so it's definitely something that I've always wanted to be really into, but there's just this quote unquote barrier of gameplay, which is, it's just odd. So I have watched almost all of the movies, I think, except for the last one, the live action movies anyway. Yes, I played five and I was definitely interested in this most recent one, the European setting and everything. And also a particular character who we might talk about maybe. But, uh, There's a clinical type name for <laughs> why you like her, but I can't remember what it is. I know. Uh, I, I always get those, uh, was it paras, parasexual terminologies uh, mixed <laughs> up? Yeah. You know, I just, I really like uh, monster movies and things like that. So it's definitely appealing on that on that level, but difficult for me at the same time. My history with Resident Evil started in... Probably, I think freshman or sophomore year. And I remember being in the band room and sometimes at the end of a semester or a term, we would have, it could have been the end of the year, probably near Christmas. We would just have a day because there was no point in starting new music that it would just be like a a fun day. And I remember a TV being in there and someone brought in the GameCube and someone was playing Resident Evil 4, which I didn't know what number it was at the time. But I distinctly remember the character going through and like these people coming out with (laughs) pitchforks and everything. And now knowing I'm like, oh, that was Resident Evil 4. And I was horrified. I remember a guy coming out with a chainsaw. I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) I am. I've gotten much better. I don't know if better is the right terminology, but 
I couldn't play these sorts of games. Like God of War, the very first one, when it was Hades, I, I had to put out the lights on. So <laughs> I guess it's progressed just like, you know, Last of Us I was really nervous about that. Um, so just practice kind of went through that. So I never thought I would play a Resident Evil game. And then Resident Evil 2, the remake, just looked so pretty. It just looked so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Claire seemed like a really cool protagonist. I just like female protagonists in games. It's always fun to play as a female. And so I thought, I'll give it a shot. So I ended up getting it. It was discounted this, what would it be, 2019 Christmas, I guess? Yeah. And I didn't start yeah, playing it. on. Un- yeah, I didn't start playing it until the pandemic was like at its peak, which was really weird because I'm in Raccoon City. They're talking about this outbreak. I was like, this is too close to home and I'm playing this game. <laughs> and then it was around that time. It was summer. I guess it was spring and summer that you and I started rewatching all those films. Like we watched as many as we could. I think Netflix had a bunch of them. And then I had only seen the first one edited on TV because again, squeamish and and not really wanting to deal with zombies and everything, but it was fun to watch all of them in their theatrical glory. And then I paid money for, for the others and they get ridiculous, but yeah, it's been, (laughs) it's been an interesting ride. And then I, I recently got resident evil three, of course. And then I did talk about my resident evil seven history, but the reason why I even tried resident evil seven, because I didn't like the setting I don't really like first person, though, now that I've played some Call of Duties, like, okay, it's not as bad as I thought. But I saw some more information about Resident Evil Village. And you're right, like the setting, Lady D, I mean, she's an intriguing person, like all this uh, werewolves and vampires was like, oh, this is really different. I'm really intrigued. But I felt like I needed to go back because it was Ethan Winter's story still. So to play seven and not my favorite setting, just with the Texas Chainsaw Mass. It was just gross. It's a gross game, <laughs> but I survived it. And then, you know, of course, Ethan, which we'll talk about him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I gave this a shot and game locked it on GameFi, which is lovely and, and got it pretty soon and then played it. So yeah, so my history, at least with village itself i think is really similar i feel like overall our our stuff is is pretty similar and i do like puzzles in because uncharted was pretty puzzly and tomb raider was puzzly so in that sense but really uncrackable puzzles are annoying and there's a certain level of gameplay like Sekiro died what twice or those sort of from software those types of games that just seem like impossible to beat i don't need that stress in my life but i do like a certain amount of challenge so i don't need to flex but i'm just saying like if you i think you're like the everyman kind of video gamer and then i might just be like a step above you if that's oh yeah would you agree might even i mean i like my primary console in the heyday was like the xbox 360 which was the bro console (laughs) so i played all the halos and gears of wars uh, things like that. So, and, and I think whenever like video games are such a, um, like, uh, a fun activity. And I think perhaps, uh, American labor has sort of infected my brain. So when I'm mm-hmm. playing a video game, I'm like, I can only do this in the fun window of my life, but then I have to get back to work or something like that. So if I run into a, an obstacle that I can't immediately sort of overcome with a gun, then I start to get like antsy. Um, and I can't immediately just turn to the left and see the door that I have to break because yeah. I can't sort of read the language of the game. 
and so I read something recently that was a blurb on a review that was like the puzzles in Resident Evil Village are so straightforward. And I was like, yeah, but I'm such a dumbo. <laughs> I really couldn't figure out any of them. I will uh, say I had to restart a couple times because I felt like there was a glitch and it was not allowing me to do what should have been doing. I don't know if you got to the section where you had to use like hanging braziers, aren't they called braziers? Uh, to like move the fire, you either had to run oh. into it or you had to <laughs> shoot it in order to light something else on fire. And there was one that the trajectory, it was just not, it was not yeah. hitting. It wasn't doing anything. I was like, okay, so I have to restart. So there were, there were some, uh, some little bumbles there, but yeah. But I agree with you. I was I was trying to follow up on something that I mean, this it, video games are supposed to be fun and escapist. So I totally get what you're saying that, yeah, if you're getting stressed out in an atmosphere that should be more fun, then, yeah, it is hard to to complete or continue on. And plus, with the genre of survival horror, there's so much friction there already. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a different kind of zone than feeling like super empowered by all these pro games. <laughs> I got to stop using that term. But. <laughs> Man, you know. did you wear like cut off a cut off tee or what? What are those called? A muscle tee when you played those muscle pro tea, games? Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I had the pink shirt with the pop collar, and uh, it was. I really looked super cool. I so. bet you did. I yeah. bet you did. <laughs> okay, well, before we get into it, into it with Village, did you enjoy it? And should I say what the what? <laughs> The background is now, or do you want to say whether you enjoyed it or are enjoying it? I should use the present progressive. I think you have to explain because it just, it wouldn't make any sense for me to render a judgment like that. Okay. So this was planned. I'll just give like a little background. We were planning yeah. it to record this next week. He he works well with deadlines, people. <laughs> so you give him a deadline and then he like works up to it. So I was really surprised when he texted me one day and said, can we actually record this week? And I just want to be fresh. And then I think there was like an aside that said, you're not going to be happy with me. And I thought, <laughs> oh no, what's going on here? So he did not finish the game. Where are you right now? I just encountered the first discreet daughter and <laughs> I emptied all of my bullets into her and I had to shut it off because I, I thought, I, I don't know. You just need to run away, which we're going to talk I about. I know. But yeah. I, I did run away, but I didn't know that there was a, again, I didn't know there was a door you had to break down. Oh no. Smart. Okay. You were really I close smart. actually to uh scene, your lady friend. Your crush. It was just after that, but yeah. You know, I just couldn't fit into the, the time budget. Woman crush Wednesday. Okay. So I think we'll be okay. I think our discussion, I mean, surrounding, well, this game, we shouldn't hit anything that you haven't t- w- looked at so what he did was correct me if i'm wrong i don't even need to speak for you uh you have watched some gameplay footage yes okay yes, it was uh, an eight hour it wasn't a speed run it was just a walkthrough yeah, a regular one okay so he's got the background uh to a certain extent not you know high level background <laughs> so now it's on my shoulders he just 
brought my attention to the fact that I could be a hypocrite because I was <laughs> roasting. I don't even think ro- dressing down Harold and Donovan in regards to a show that they did not watch and they were critiquing. And I'm like, how can you do that? And so I said, you know, we're going to do that now. Well, friend, I just want to tell you, friends, that I have at least played through the whole game. <laughs> so we're we're there. So would you say of the stuff that you've played, let's go with that. Have you been enjoying it? Uh, I wish I could say that I did, but I think this is another. <gasps> I know. I it, There's a thing where um, sort of late into the, the Halo cycle, again, one of the producers talked about how like, he kind of wishes it, it didn't have to just be a first-person shooter. It could just be sort of like a, an archaeological thing where you just walk around the school environment. And that's kind of what I was thinking, that the gameplay was just not really my style. But mm-hmm. I really did just like the setting um, in that sort of gothic, not really gothic uh, setting and, and all that stuff. But yeah, it was just this sort of strange combination of like the puzzles, but also those the worst parts of the Tomb Raider reboots where you were just sort of shuttled along a path and it was sort of like a universal ride where rocks are falling and yeah. you're being knocked off a cliff, which I I don't know. That's not really that fun to me, but yeah. yeah, I wish I could come on here and say that I really enjoyed what I did see, but unfortunately, no. That's fine. I think that'll make for a good discussion. I would say that I had fun at times. I enjoyed myself at times. I was horrified at times. We'll talk about that. And this was probably the most horrified I've ever been playing a game, one particular section. And I did absolutely like it more than seven. But the feeling when I played it is just completely different because then, you know, once I was done and I shipped it back to Gamefly, I went back to Resident Evil remake because I'm going to try to get the platinum though it's going to be a long journey and I just have such fun with those remakes so I'm trying to figure out or reconcile like why is that what's the difference between the two but yeah so I would say like yes yes and no I I enjoyed it there I do have some heavy criticisms of it and I think gameplay especially like did they find a good balance that sort of thing so I think this will be a good discussion we can we can suss out everything and what would you say was kind of the the primary reason why it was an improvement over seven, would you say, in your experience? The setting. I think the setting for sure, like I said, well, I mean, I was about to say Louisiana is not, you know, necessarily. Well, I guess I could say Louisiana just in the sense of I could go to Louisiana. I could right. travel down there and look at it. And this was like, oh, wow, this is really something that is different than something I've experienced and it's really fun to see. And there are some beautiful moments. I mean, that castle, Castle Dimitriscu, is so beautiful. And then there are, it's paired up with other bizarre things like the factory, which I don't know if you saw many sections of that. But the setting in particular, and then the characters, I think, were also really interesting. And they're, the four lords are so distinct from one another. I thought that was pretty cool. And then the, I liked the werewolves and the vampires better than the the mold and yeah. the Baker clan in particular. So, so I would just say like grotesque, which was seven versus more or less like a, a beautiful and terrifying experience with eight. Yeah. Yeah. But, and uh, I'd, I'd like yeah. to talk about the aesthetics at some point too. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's very important. 
Yeah, for sure. I do want to go through some definitions uh, just because I think there's going to be a question where what is this? What is this game and does it balance itself well? And these all come from Wikipedia. So thank you for that. I think they all do. So survival horror is a subgenre of action adventure and horror video games that focuses on survival of the character as the game tries to frighten players with either horror graphics or scary ambiance. Although combat can be part of the gameplay, the player is made to feel less in control than in typical action games through limited ammunition or weapons, health, speed, and vision, or through various obstructions of the player's interaction with the game mechanics. The player is also challenged to find items that unlock the path to new areas and solve puzzles to proceed in the game. Games make use of strong horror themes like dark maze-like environments and unexpected attacks from enemies. And Resident Evil 1, the original, it really is sort of the capstone of this and really getting that genre started. Then we have action horror. So action horror games are a spinoff of survival horror games where more action game elements from first person and third person shooter games are used alongside the survival horror themes, making them more fast paced than prior survivor horror games. And finally, the silent protagonist, (laughs) because I do want to talk about Ethan. (laughs) So. In video games, the silent protagonist is a player character who lacks any dialogue for the entire duration of the game, with the possible exception of occasional interjections or short phrases. In some games, especially visual novels, this may extend to protagonists who have dialogue but no voice acting like all other non-player characters. A silent protagonist may be employed to lend a sense of mystery or uncertainty of identity to the gameplay or to help the player identify better with them, which is certainly what when, uh, you know, I talk about Ethan so many times to Harold, he's probably really upset. (laughs) I, I, I just I complain about him so much. And he has mentioned several times, like, it's probably so the player can identify with him. So just be aware of that. What's what's your experience with other silent protagonists? And have they been positive or negative? I so I would my knee jerk would be Jack from Jack and Daxter. Oh, so that would probably, and, and that was, you know, when I was kind of a baby playing games, I guess like, or teenager baby playing games, but that was my first experience. And I didn't really know the name of that. And it's hard because Daxter is on Jack's like back the entire time and he's the one talking. So, and it's, so it's almost like it's not a sign of protagonist because they're practically one character, but technically he is. So I would say there's that and it. And it it was used in a funny way because there were times that he would almost, he would try to speak and you're like, oh my gosh, is he about to say something? And then like somebody else says something and speaks for him. So (laughs) the naughty dog clearly knew what they were doing there. So I would say that that was fun. I don't think that I ever saw myself as being Jack. I think it was just like a nice little uh, pair that you had with with Jack and Daxter. Uh, Mm. There was someone else that I mentioned to you. Oh, I've only seen video of what's that alien dead space. I've only seen, I think his name's Isaac. Is that right? Mm. So I can't really say whether I would put myself in there. And then you had mentioned Link, but I have no like personal experience with that. And Cloud, Cloud is kind of a silent protagonist i'd have to talk to donovan the expert on final fantasy 7 to see if he would agree with that but so i would say you know for the most part well 
maybe 50-50. So Jack, I think I was fine with it because of how they were able to use Daxter. But Cloud, I didn't really care for him. He was just overly <laughs> aggressive. It was everyone else. And he, I started to like him as he developed with other characters. But I've never personally seen myself as them. How about you? Yeah. Uh, probably the same. I mean, it's hard to play video games and avoid the silent protagonist, I feel like. And it's part of the reason why I think a lot of video game adaptations are difficult because suddenly you mm. have this main character who's just doesn't, he's not really a character. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, you know, there's been some, a lot of like the early Nintendo stuff that some of which I've had experience with, like, you know, Mario and Link and uh, Metroid, probably, yeah, 50-50. So it's always nice to see a, a character who's fully voiced. I, I prefer that. Yeah. Do you see yourself in any of those characters when you play No. Them? Okay. And I, I think because I imagine because of the the sort of like Nintendo, like NES origin, I, I imagine that the silent protagonist just came about through um, as a consequence of logic that you couldn't really have voice in games. Mm. And then as it went on, you know, it, it took a while for video games to really diversify their main characters. And so they would always sort of be the, the standard white male space mm. marine, perhaps. And that's kind of a difficult thing to ask everybody to identify with if it's just even if it's just a silent uh, character so it's it's kind of a flawed premise that i feel like is something that is fed to um video game academia that the silent protagonist works you know as a psychological thing but mm-hmm. I, in practice i don't buy it yeah it, it'd be interesting to to think psychologically about s- is it samos or samos isn't that samos, her yeah. name? because probably all the males you know could have been identifying and then all of a sudden it's revealed like what you know, I was identified as a female protagonist. Say what? So that's yeah. kind of that's interesting to to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love Samus. I was just trolling, saying that her name was Metroid. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, you didn't troll me because I knew uh, it was a trap. You tried to trap me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, even if if there's, I like to see my little player avatar, especially for horror games, because there's your, you know. <laughs> I guess two degrees removed or so from the horror element. Whereas yeah. if you're there, you're encountering it. But yeah, I don't know. Be, when I play as Jill or Claire, I feel like this is maybe because they're female, but also because they're badass. I feel like I can identify them, even though I can fully see their their little faces and everything. So I prefer to see my person. But I wonder how it would have been different for you playing the original games, which were um, oh, the, different camera angles. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know, I see it because I think they recently had remastered it or done something. And I kind of want to play like all of them, but maybe I'm a bit of a snob. I'm like waiting for the remakes because they look so beautiful. (laughs) But the the remaster, it just makes me nervous. And I don't know what I would think about the gameplay. Like, well, it's not smooth. It seems like you're running to a corner and then you have to wait for it to go. I don't know if I could take it. Yeah, no. <laughs> what's going to be behind that corner <laughs> uh, it's bad enough things dropping out of the sky and either they'll mm-hmm. wake up or they won't okay well cast list wise and i forgot but one of the daughters the actress actually passed away before this even came out really? i don't remember which daughter though i guess if oh. you're you can always googinate 
if you would like while I'm doing this. Yeah. So, okay, here we go. So Todd Soley is Ethan Winters. Roll my eyes. <laughs> Katie O'Hagan is Mia Winters. Jeff Sheen is Chris Redfield, which is Carlos in <laughs> Resident Evil 3. So I love that. Though I could only see when he ever he spoke, I was like, it's Carlos. It's Carlos. <laughs> Michelle Lucas or Leaks uh, as Mother Miranda. Neil Newbun as Carl Heisenberg. Jesse Pimentel as as Salvatore Moreau, Paula Rhodes as Angie, <laughs> Andy Norris as Donna Beneviento, Maggie Robertson as Alcina Dimitrescu, Nicole Tompkins as Daniela Dimitrescu, and Jeanette Mouse as Cassandra Dimitrescu, Becca Pruitt as Bella Dimitrescu, Aaron LaPlante as the Duke, and Carol Stanzioni as the Hag which is that old lady that you encounter in the village. <laughs> a dual role. So who would yes, you say turned in the best performance? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I, you know what? Lady D, I really like Lady D, though it's hard yeah. to like separate her visage from her, you know, her voice. But I love, you haven't seen it yet, but when she hangs up with Mother Miranda and she's like, can I, you know, take care of this? Why do we have to wait for this ceremony? She throws her yeah. <laughs> mirror and what is that called? A van, basically of the whole yes. baby, like Jesus Christ style. And, you know, so I would say like, that's an amazing performance, but Carl Heisenberg, I love his voice, his affect. I constantly would call him the big Lebowski, but I would, he's just so charismatic. I would say mm-hmm. that that might be my top of all of them. Yeah, I can see that. I had a soft spot for the Duke. Might've just been the character. I kind of liked that sort of, he was not quite an enemy, not quite an ally. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it was, I didn't expect him. I mean, we'll talk more about him, but didn't expect him to have the role that he did. I just thought because I had known of the merchant, I think in in Resident Evil 4. So I just thought like maybe he's just a seller and that's it, like an NPC. But the Duke plays more of a role than I ever expected, which was cool. I think that was cool. Uh, He needs to go on a weight loss program now. (laughs) Okay, so I'll give a a brief synopsis again from Wikipedia uh, just to give people an idea of what this game was about. So three years after the events in Dolby, Louisiana, Ethan and Mia have been relocated to Europe by Chris Redfield to start a new life with their newborn daughter, Rosemary. One night, Redfield and his hound wolf squad raid the house, assassinate Mia. (laughs) and abduct there's a reason why i'm laughing and abduct ethan and rosemary ethan awakens next to a crashed transport truck and reaches a nearby village terrorized by werewolf-like creatures known as lichens ethan is unable to save the remaining villagers and is captured and brought before the village priest mother miranda and her lords Ethan escapes and ventures into Dimitrescu's castle to find Rosemary with the support of a local merchant known as the Duke. Ethan eliminates Dimitrescu and her daughters, finding a flask containing Rosemary's head. The Duke explains that Miranda placed Rosemary's body parts in four different flasks for a special ritual and that she can be restored if Ethan recovers the other flasks held by the remaining lords. While killing Beneviento and Moreau for their flask, Ethan learns Hound Wolf is also in the village. Ethan passes a test from Heisenberg for the fourth flask and is invited to the Lord's factory where Heisenberg offers a proposal to defeat Miranda together. 
Ethan refuses once he learns Heisenberg intends to weaponize Rosemary and escapes. Ethan encounters and confronts Chris over Mia's death, learning the Mia Chris killed was actually Miranda in disguise. Chris reveals that Miranda possesses the power of mimicry and was attempting to abduct Rosemary, succeeding when she crashed the transport truck. Chris destroys Heisenberg's factory, while Ethan uses a makeshift tank to defeat Heisenberg. Miranda confronts Ethan and kills him after she reveals her plans to take Rosemary as her own. Witnessing Ethan's death, Chris leads Houndwolf to extract Rosemary while a Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, or BSAA, assault force distracts Miranda. Chris enters a cave beneath the village and discovers a megamycete, uh, the source of the mold from Episode 7, or the game seven. He plants a bomb on the mega my seat and finds Miranda's lab, learning that she has lived a century since coming into contact with the mega my seat and was a mentor to the umbrella corporation's founder, Oswell E. Spencer. Oswell used her knowledge to eventually develop the T virus. Miranda experimented with the fungus in an attempt to revive her daughter, Eva, who had succumbed to the Spanish flu and the four Lords lichens and Evelyn being failed experiments. Miranda found a suitable host with Rosemary due to her special abilities inherited from Ethan and Mia. Chris also rescues the imprisoned Mia, learning that Ethan is still alive when Mia reveals her husband's powers. Ethan revives after encountering Evelyn in limbo, who reveals that he was killed in his first encounter with Jack Baker in Dolby. So that was a plot twist but was revived by her mold, which gave him regenerative powers, which explains many things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Basically, when I think everyone's seen that scene, when Jack Baker says, welcome to the family, son, and kicks his head and that's when he died so just have why the duke brings ethan to the ritual site where miranda is attempting to revive eva but only succeeds in reviving rosemary an enraged miranda battles ethan who kills her before the mega my seat emerges from the ground Ethan, his body deteriorating from his regenerative powers, having reached their limit, sacrifices himself to detonate the bomb planted on the megamycete while Chris transports Mia and Rosemary to safety. As Mia mourns the loss of Ethan, Chris discovers that the BSAA soldiers sent to the village were organic bioweapons, which is hypocritical because that's what they're fighting against, and orders his squad to head for the BSAA's European headquarters. In a post credit scene, a teenage Rosemary visits Ethan's grave before being called away for a mission on behalf of an undisclosed organization. As she and her escort drive off into the distance, an unknown figure is seen approaching their vehicle, which we can discuss. So that's basically RE8. Yeah, it goes right to the origin of the whole series. It, you know? it does. Yes. So we're yeah, definitely going to talk about yeah, connections and everything. So first big question, do you feel like this game is survival horror or action horror or is it both? And if both, I'm just asking a bunch of questions. If it's both, is there a good balance? This was a sticking point for a lot of critics who you know, there's this sort of recurring narrative with Resident Evil that it kind of bounces in between action and horror, and people don't generally like the action part. Uh, in this case, I think it, it is both, that it, it starts out horror, and then there's at least one sequence towards the end that is specifically action. But I actually think that that's pretty cool. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I would say that I agree that it's both of them. I don't think we could swing. It's all 
survival right. horror. It's it's all action horror. I like that it had both elements, but I personally didn't think that it was organized well mm. because I think the first half, like the first, basically the beginning to the first two lords were survival horror or just horror based. And then all of a sudden there's that big shift. I mean, once you're Moreau and you've got to go along the docks and try not to get swelled by him and then fighting waves upon waves of lichens and, and the factory and everything. So I f- feel like if they had reorganized the Lords, it would have felt better, but it was just like, Oh, well I'm done with Don uh, Beneviento. So, you know, I won't be scared anymore, which there were still some jump scares <laughs> for me, but I, I would have almost liked it to be better balanced that I'm going back and forth between action and then horror. So this is my question then. Was there, did you feel a sort of narrative utility in the shift in genre? Did you feel sort of more empowered um, as Ethan? Oh, yeah, I suppose that's true. Hmm. I know you don't want to think about being empowered as Ethan. But... I know. Yeah. Well, I get, yeah, no, I, I guess that does make sense. Just, you know, as you're progressing your and you're gaining more lay, you're able to, to upgrade your weapons and you do become more powerful. And that one section completely takes away all of your weapons, which was really yeah. interesting. So you just feel like really naked and, and vulnerable. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it does. But. I feel like I there are times when I feel really powerful in the remakes in two and three, but I can still be taken out really quickly just with one hit by, you know, nemesis or something like that. So I think there's still a way to feel powerful, but also your life is in jeopardy, you know, if something comes out at you. Yeah, I think what really captured my imagination was the the sequence when you start playing as Chris um, and you sort of you bring a team into the village, which is. A pretty, again, it's a kind of intertidal narrative between like alien and aliens, where suddenly this space where that you've had to struggle to figure out and you've barely survived. And now you're sort of empowered to do something and yeah, I guess effectively destroy it. And I think that that's kind of, um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, emotionally, maybe. Yeah, I think the Chris one, I'm totally on board with the Ethan. I'm still working out because there's just that one line that's just thrown in there haphazardly at dinner at the very beginning that, you know, Chris put us through this training or whatever it was. (laughs) And you kind of still want a bumble. I mean, the man's wearing a trench coat, I'm pretty sure, as far as I can tell from looking at his arms whenever he's raised them up maybe a, a a coat. I don't know what it is, but he's, you know, just a civilian. And so you kind of want him to still bumble around. So I wish that there would be a difference, like a distinct, and, and I suppose there was, you know, playing as Ethan versus Chris, I think you could probably tell that there was a difference, but powerful Ethan is still seems the same as Chris. And I think there should be a difference. Like, Hey, there's this guy that doesn't have the training that Chris Redfield has had. Right. Especially since you're you're fighting things like Lady Demiscrete's like mutated form, like and every man isn't going to fight that thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. It is very true. Yeah. And now it's just like old, old hat for him. He's just like, oh, not again. Whereas I'd be freaking out every single time. Like, what is that? Oh, boy. But he does say, well, we'll get to it. I'll complain for hours upon him, uh, about that. So you had mentioned run and hide gameplay, which was something that uh, I think you said it sort of turned turned you off on that. Do you want to talk about this now, sort of that that gameplay or what you experienced and what you what you mean? 
Yeah, I mean, that that genre of game, which I think was sort of introduced via the Amnesia series, and then things like Outlast and Alien mm-hmm. Isolation, it, it kind of happened when I was sort of out with video games in between the seventh and eighth generation of consoles. And so I never really experienced those things. But it just, it never really appealed to me in the same way that like open world stealth games don't really appeal to me because I just don't, I guess I have like a bad sense for like space and spatial like recognition or something like that. So I never know like who is where um, in terms of myself. So that sort of run and hide under the bed, it just, it seemed like it could be really intense, but it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was for me necessarily. Gotcha. I will say that it was really intense. (laughs) With the baby, the fetus baby thing. (laughs) That was a scary situation. But yeah, I mean, is that the only way to create a a horror element? Right, right. So is that kind of what you're getting at? Is that, you know, is that a cheap way to to do it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it seemed pretty trendy. Um, Also with like Five Nights at Freddy's. And it it seemed trendy, especially because it was like, it it happened in in Condorcet with um the advent of like streaming video games and those games are just so perfect for getting big reactions out of Twitch streamers. But I don't know, but then you have something like PT, which wasn't really run and hide. It was just exploring the most frightening space in all of video games. Ever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think there's definitely different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to think of uh, how many experiences I've had with run and hide. I feel like this might be the only one because Mr. X and nemesis well you could kind of hide from mr x but not too well but nemesis definitely not and then even lady d would you'd hear her stomping footsteps that was partially run and hide but i just feel like the anxiety inducing (laughs) bad guys are the ones that stalk you with no end and you've got to like somehow skirt around them and and get where you where you need to get but (laughs) I don't know if I don't know if I can say it's not for me or it is for me, but I will say that it it caused some panic. So I suppose yeah. it was successful. Well, it's interesting too that this game wasn't designed around it entirely; that it was just part part of the horror. And there yeah. were other, you know, because uh, I think the classic Resident Evil horror comes from uh, resource management that you just you feel like you don't have enough bullets, and that was definitely another another tool in the toolbox. Yeah, and and again, I think that organization would have helped with this because I felt like after the baby, I was like safe. And so my heart rate dropped and maybe creating an environment or a feeling that you are safe and then actually pulling the rug out from would have worked really well for this. Mm. But I guess they just didn't want to do it that way. I guess not. (laughs) Well, that's the interesting thing too about Resident Evil. They're always pretty uh experimental so i guess you know they try something once and then they move on i don't know yeah Ooh, i have use of horror and suspense uh from what you've played i mean how do you feel like this matches up with a horror experience or or other well, i mean last of us you play last of us and also re5 that you said you played you feel like it's used well I think so. I, I read ahead of time that this game was definitely not as scary as the, the, the predecessor, which I think you disagree with, but the, I didn't play Resident Evil 7. But so I, I thought that um, it was a, like the village itself was a pretty creepy space and just being around it, being inside of it was just sort of, sort of uneasy. Um, and then I saw, I was spoiled on the baby because I saw just the thumbnail of it on YouTube and it just, I just, I could, I was dreading <laughs> running into it. And 
you know, to wit, I never encountered it. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, I remember you said that you were spoiled on something, and then you said, like, it makes me not want to play. And I thought, oh no, what is this? (laughs) And then I played it, and I think I immediately went to you and said, I have encountered the most horrifying (laughs) thing I've ever. And you said, I think I know what it is. What was it? Yeah, I I like the atmosphere, especially like the atmospheric sounds. I think that was something that was mentioned above in, in one of the definitions, because you could just be walking and no lichens are going to attack you, but you hear them all around you. And I wear yeah. headsets, so it's like even worse. But just that, like the the anticipatory dread that something's going to happen and you don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. So I feel like they they do well with that in the village in particular. And I suppose in the fact, well, not really the factory, but whenever, yeah, I guess the lichens, really it's the lichens that I, I think create that. So that would probably be their, their best horror suspense. Okay. So then here I was thinking about Mortal Kombat when we were doing this. If you remember when we watched Mortal Kombat, I think I asked you what's the responsibility for filmmakers to reach out to veteran fans who love the Mortal Kombat series as well as the original film? And then what responsibility to the, do they have to new players? And so how do you feel like this? I mean, you can actually answer that question in terms of Resident Evil. What responsibility do the, the creators have for that? But how do you feel like it was successful in doing that, reaching out both to veterans as well as newcomers to the series? From my perspective, I feel like it was actually really successful in this regard because it, the last, I mean, this one and seven, they feel sort of individual, uh, at least in terms of like visual identity and, and things like that. So, um, but at the same time, as the deeper you go, you realize how uh, interconnected it is and how a piece of the franchise it is. And so like, that's, that's definitely a question that keeps a lot of like game producers up at night because it's, it's gone into the marketing at this point. Like, you know, how, how uh, loyal are we to the fan base, which is, you know, kind of a gross and weird thing. But um, when you really break down that sentiment, it's I think it's just about how do you sort of express what is uh, essential to any given story. And I think that this one, like, despite that it is sort of a genre departure in terms of like the fact that there are werewolves and vampires, uh, where Resident Evil is more like science fiction based. Uh, it still feels pretty quintessentially Resident Evil, I think, it, it, in my opinion. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, well, it feels different, at least from what I've been playing. But as I played it and looking into it more and doing research, I can see those narrative threads as well as Easter eggs, but a bit mm. bit eager than a bit bigger than Easter eggs, maybe Easter um goose eggs or <laughs> ostrich eggs, something like that. And and I agree. I think that this was such an enticing game, primarily because of that woman. You have to agree <laughs> that I think why well, they had no idea, but I think happenstance just allowed them to create this game that people hopped onto. And I uh, will talk about, is this a du- duology? If that's a word, I think it is. But I think it was great, especially for people who may have popped on just for RE7 because it's a completely different protagonist. So you've got those middle of the way, like rookie players, I guess, right. and then people who were really interested in this game hopping on. And then, yeah, I think the the Duke 
a lot of it uh, tying back into Resident Evil 4, I think was big. Mm. Chris Redfield, I think being a, a big thing. And then I would only say that surface levelly would be the, the files that you discover in Miranda's lab that you find that Oswald Spencer was connected because if you don't look at the files, you have no idea. But yeah. that way it, it, it ties everything in together because I wasn't sure how is this connected to the T virus and the G virus, if we've got lichens <laughs> and everything, but it with, with her experiments, it, it does work, work out. So part of me, even though I'm a newcomer, part of me does want to be like elitist. No, we need to keep to the original, but yeah, I mean, that's rude and offensive to other people because you do want others to experience the joy that you've had playing these games. So you have to be able to find ways to do that. I think with Mortal Kombat, this isn't the Mortal Kombat show, but it's just like the ways that they did it, which is primarily Cole. You know, there is no need to do that. <laughs> there was no need. So I think Resident Evil Village was able to craft a game that was able to reach out to veterans and newcomers without doing that, that cold situation. Yeah, I think so. I, I, in this regard, I think it was more successful than say mass effect three, which was trying to also get new players on board, which is strange because it's the end of a trilogy. So yeah. I don't know, but with resident evil, you can always kind of start over. It seems. Yeah, it, it does. I haven't gotten into the, I've seen multiple timeline videos on Resident Evil. So it seems like once you get past four, you're getting in the weeds right. of crazy stuff because Code Verona, I don't know, all this stuff. But right now it seemed like the remakes and things, you can just hop on and you'll be overall okay. I mean, you might need some background on what happened, especially with three, because you don't realize Jill was present at the Arclay Mountains and everything. But right. yeah, I feel like, we're new generation of, of Resident Evil fans are kind of popping through with these games, which is nice. Mm. And it's always a challenge for video game franchises to stay relevant throughout time. And reinvention is a, is a constant. Yeah, it's very true. Wise words, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last one of sort of the overall questions before we start getting into player, uh, yeah, character specifics and, and settings and things like that is just about the total play time. And how it compared to the length of the other games in the series and whether you thought that it was a, a good length or not. And it's pretty comparable to Resident Evil 7. It it took me, but I, I take a long time, uh, about 10 hours. But I think like the average is like between seven and nine. I don't know. But uh, I was busy. And so <laughs> I made Harold my minion and said, can you please find these? So how how does it compare to others? Is it in the low the low range? Oh, I, I thought. You oh, that's okay. To find, if you want, yeah. <laughs> whatever data you have found, you can now talk about. It. <laughs> Ten sounds like the shorter end, but um, like PC Gamer, they said that for the review, it took ten hours and twenty minutes. Um, but if you want to collect everything, it'll be more like thirteen, and that okay. was sort of um, that's what I kept seeing. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And d did you see anything, any comparisons to other games by any chance? No, but um, that it seems to be like pretty short relatively yeah. to what games are now. I mean, you and I have both played Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You finished it. Mm -hmm. I mean, how long was that game? 
Well, it depends on if you did everything. I think that was my like 75 hour game. <laughs> but that's, yeah, the RPG. I, I do remember IGN, I think it was on Instagram at one point, went through the total, like the play times for each of the Resident Evil games. And in the beginning, they were re- relatively short. Like if cool. you're playing Resident Evil 3 and just going through and not collecting, it's about six hours. It's pretty short. Yeah. And I think the action ones, like five and six, I think those were like the longer ones. I was like closer to huh. 20. So I don't know. Yeah. But do you feel like 10, 7 to 10, is that a good runtime for a horror game? Do you think it's intentional? Like if they are focusing on horror elements, are they looking to the the psychology of the player and, and morale? I don't know. And don't want to put them through that for an extended period of time. Or is that just me coming up with something? <laughs> No, that makes sense. You also have to wonder if, if like maybe you get too used to the environment that it stops mm. being scary if you're playing it for too long. In the case of Resident Evil Village too, it's also their experimentation with open world games. It's more like a you have this hub, which is the village. Um, so you think you could sort of pad out the length with that, but they didn't. And I appreciate that. Uh, in some parts, it's very on rails. There's a lot of those sorts of interactive cutscenes, scenes. Uh, so it's very cinematic and it's very detailed. And a lot of the... Like I, I do still feel a little bit of this anxiety when I play games like <clears throat> Shadow of the Tomb Raider or The Last of Us Part Two, which they're like it's the, the it's just so much like high fidelity, intricate detail that I just I know you know we talked about the labor last time. So much goes into these games that mm-hmm. you know I, I would prefer a more um, concise experience because I feel like it's just um, it's just like uh, less. I, I don't know. It just makes me more comfortable in that regard. Yeah. Do you feel overwhelmed, I guess, like sensory overload almost? Is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with the PS4 generation, like I just, it's just almost like the games look so good that it's too much um, visual data. And I can't immediately sort of discern like boundaries or or things that, uh, you know, the video game language that I developed through like, you know, the GameCube era where you run into a wall and there's no wall there, but you just sort of like, oh, I can't, I can't pass this wall. But um, in a game like Village, everything is, practically photoreal and so it's difficult to tell you know where to go or what Mm -hmm. to look at or where you can stop so yeah i do have trouble with that yeah and i would agree at least in terms of i think this is what you're saying please tell me if you weren't but i like to experience it and and look at everything and and yeah pay respect to the people who created it by enjoying everything and and marveling and in the beauty and so it is harder if it's a longer game and everything (laughs) you're seeing is new because you're like looking around like oh man all of this stuff that's going on so is that something in resident evil's franchise's favor this one i think you go back to the village three separate occasions to you'll hit different areas but you're also retreading paths to find treasures and unlock some of those pick locks things and and pick lock shelves or whatever and resident evil the the remake two and three you're like constantly going back and and returning is that something in its favor so that you can experience everything fully and in different ways, even though it's this, the same setting. I think, um, I know people like that. That's sort of the Castlevania or uh, Metroidvania mentality of really mastering of space and really like, it well, same with uh, dark souls and, and from software, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, this sort of like, you know, unlocking shortcuts and like really figuring out like yeah. directions and things like that's, um, that's cool for a lot of people. To, to me, that's just sort of a, a puzzle on a, a macro level. And so it's almost too much. I, gotcha. I prefer to just go straight forward. I see. I see. Okay. 
Well, I think that's it for over. Do you have any other overall questions you would like to discuss? We never found out who the Resident Evil was. <laughs> we. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking. <laughs> we never just who the Resident Evil was. Yeah. Is that what you who just said? <laughs> who was the Resident Evil? I'm assuming it was Mother Miranda. <laughs> Do you not think so? I guess she could. I mean, she really was. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, yeah, I could go with that. Yeah. <laughs> the was that the is Resident an interesting. Evil. I've never thought about the title in that way. <laughs> So what does who, the title mean? What does it mean? Well, the Japanese is, is biohazard, I know, yeah. which I think fits all of them because it's all about some sort of virus. But mm-hmm. yeah, Resident Evil. I don't know. Do you think it's just from that first one because it was in a residence or is that just too literal? Oh, literal? No, I mean, that, you know, right. I that, know. that could be it. But it's not that Residence Evil. I don't know. But now I'm going to be thinking about. Well, who who would that be in uh, two and three? I don't know. Is it Nemesis or is it? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Resident Evil. Well, that's a thinker. We can uh, ask the audience to let us know what Resident Evil means. Okay. Well, I'm going to, this is what happened last time. I tried to screen share and it was like too much and it overloaded my computer. So let's see. But I do have images of um, different characters and peoples so we're going to go through some of the characters we'll start with this dude (laughs) i know him here okay so ethan winters and i took this there were several things but i wanted to specifically have one where his face is hidden because (laughs) i do want to talk about that but can we just talk about who he is as a character as a protagonist and let's just get it off our chests. Maybe mine more so than yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can't wait to hear you finally just let everybody let know loose. How yeah. So, who? Uh, I don't even know what his character is like. His comparison to other protagonists, and is he well liked as a protagonist? Which okay. you actually sent me. I actually took up. Uh, I saved that image that you sent <laughs> me. But how would you describe him as a character? Let's go there. Let's let's pretend this is literature recommendations or, or required reading with Thomas Sala. How would you describe his character? Richly complex, uh, tragically <laughs> compelling. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm about to drop you from this call. <laughs> I think Ethan is kind of a mascot for Resident Evil 7 because that game was very consciously a soft reboot, taking... You know, the producers really looked at the elements of the series and they said, you know, you have you have all these iconic larger than life characters like Claire and Jill and and Chris and Leon who have been in other games like Marvel versus Capcom and things like they're, you know, beloved uh, in in video games. So Ethan is not going to be a sort of like super soldier character. He's going to be an everyman and everyman that can be interesting, but I feel like. I I just I personally I don't find him too interesting now I I don't know I mean I I just I just, he's kind of a bummer. Thank you. So we can get back together now. I've forgiven you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I would agree with you. The everyman. I, I think that he's just Joe Schmo off the street that we pulled in, and 
let's see what he can do. And boy, is he really beat up and he doesn't have any training and he's just trying to make it in this really bizarre world. And that's specifically for seven. And then eight, he, he got some training from Chris and he's special now, but yeah, he is. And unfortunately I have to say now we tried to separate in our last of us, which I think is necessary, the actor or actress with the character. But I feel like the actor has something to do with it. If only like the affect or how he is presenting what he is saying, it boggles the mind. Like why he says things. I mean, the first, the one I complained to you about mostly in this game is when Mia is getting shot She's getting shot up and he's just cowering behind a table doing, saying nothing, doing nothing. And then only, I feel like only when Chris actually puts the killing shot in her, does he scream out. And even that, that wasn't to my liking, but I guess, I don't know. I, I expect more. There are times I suppose he's used expositionally or to like help you out or comment on things, which I feel like I would have better comments than that. <laughs> he's walking across a bridge a couple of times like, what is that? And I thought, you know, just go on with your journey. And then there are other times that you examine something and only a line of text comes up rather than him saying, oh, I don't have, it looks like I need something to pick this with. Um, so I kind of wish you would do that, but you called him a bummer. My word for him would just be dud. He is just, he's <laughs> uninteresting to me. The most, he showed more emotion when that woman died i can't remember her name now the villager and over mia he's like you know why does this keep happening to me i was like well finally some emotion but he also says really dumb stuff because she said i hope you find your family and then he says i hope you'll meet them one day and i'm thinking mia's dead (laughs) there is no them i don't know He, he is just unappealing to me so you're, you, I'm so glad that you agree with me. But then I, I just wonder, is he well-liked as a protagonist? You sent me, let's see here. And I have to scroll through this. I don't know. Did you do this to me? The get well <laughs> You're like trolling me? But look, I don't think they should have killed Ethan just like that. I liked him as a character interacting with the craziness around him. I was sad uh, ASF. We all know what that means to see Ethan go out like that. At this point, Ethan should be remembered as one of the greatest (laughs) protagonists. Who are you to a twin Neo fusion? Poor Ethan. He died and his daughter ended up being a weapon anyway. He would never have allowed that. I feel bad for Ethan. He was so clueless all the time. Well, that's true. At least he was clueless. (laughs) Ethan is a small yet memorable protagonist. I'll miss him. RE fans towards Ethan salutes, salutes and cries. So you have found evidence that he is regarded well. Would you say that that's like a high percentage? And I remember reading, I'm pretty sure it was an article, though I did not go and look back for it. But I think the creators were saying like, you know, we know that he was well liked and we really liked him. So we want to continue seeing him 
and his story. And I thought, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Is it just us? Are we just the exception and not the rule? And he really actually is well-liked. I get the sense that it's more mixed. um, And these fellows uh, represent maybe the most extreme, although they are quite upvoted, some of these. Um, Uh, yes, the quote that you you have seen was from Resident Evil Village producer Peter Faviano, who says the team grew quite attached to Ethan as a character, so we knew we wanted to continue his story arc. We wanted to continue to play his experience of the game through the eyes of protagonist Ethan Winters, which calls to my mind that sort of split between fans and creators with, um, I can't remember the guy's name, I think it's Moriyama, the producer of the Fabula Nova Crystallis Final Fantasy Thirteen project, where it is canon in reality that he has a big crush on the main character, Lightning. Um, and he has said in interviews that he wishes she was real so that he could marry her, whereas everybody else was sort of not too hot on Lightning. But I, I, I think with Ethan, it's, it kind of flummoxes both of us because he is this dud. But I think maybe... What we're seeing here is people who can identify with him. Mm. The only really point of character that I've I've seen from him is that sometimes he can be kind of sassy. Uh, and that's it. Like in some of his little uh, asides, he'll say something or he'll have like a comeback after he yeah. kills somebody or something like that, which honestly kind of reminds me a bit of what I've seen of Resident Evil 6 with the Jake Wesker character who was just oh, okay. like really sarcastic. But that was also bad. So I don't know. Yeah, you, you're right. I can't think of he had a couple one liners like, mm-hmm. I bet you'll da 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 da. I'm like, OK, yeah. Ethan. I mean, I kind of roll my eyes at it. But yeah, I guess it's true, especially because you're like in this high intensity situation. You're like making the, these one liners, these zingers. But yeah, so he, he does have. I'll I'll give him that he has maybe some personality. I'm trying to think of someone that could be considered a dud, but I liked him. You know that he may have been a. Is it proper to say a vanilla personality, or is that like that's not offensive? Is it? Um, as someone with a vanilla personality, I don't <laughs> think it's offensive. No offense. A bland. How about a bland? A bland personality. Can you think of any protest like another? protagonists that may have been pretty bland but you appreciated them and enjoyed playing as them yeah um keeping in in the theme here i'd say chris in resident evil 5 he wasn't like a he didn't really go through anything that serious for him like he i mean i guess he fought jill valentine and had to bring her back to (gasps) the the land of the living spoilers but you know i would have liked to have seen more more of an effect like, uh, I don't know, a, a relationship between him and Sheva, who's my mm. personal favorite Resident Evil character, a one-off, a one-hit wonder. Sort of the Natalie and Brugelia of Resident Evil, I'd say. Um, <gasps> What's with you and Natalie? <laughs> you know, I was, okay. No, keep going. <laughs> but I I still like, I like Chris Redfield. So I don't know. I, I think that it's a it's an archetype that I could work with. Is that the game that he punches a rock? That was Resident Evil 6, but it could have happened in 5, and I'm not remembering. Carl Heisenberg mentions that. Really? He says something along the lines of, and I should say that here's the tag for, you know, language and all of that stuff. Something about, like, that rock-punching asshole when (laughs) when you're fighting him in the field. Like, he brings it up, which is hilarious, because I think at that point in time, Chris would have been around in, in the 
like Carl probably would have encountered him in the game. Yeah. I can't remember the exact line. If I can audio clip it, I'll get it. But um, that's, so that's like another little nod. Like if you remember that sort of thing, I've seen that gameplay and that seems yeah. ridiculous of <laughs> you button mashing in order to punch that. <laughs> Yeah, I think of Jack again, Mm -hmm. specifically in the first one, because in Jack two and and three, he actually does. Well, he had undergone some forced experimentation, so he's kind of a different character. But even Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot doesn't another protagonist. He doesn't say anything. Um, he just, you know, he's he's a bit of a he's not the most intelligent marsupial out there. Um, he's kind of confused what's going on. He just wants to be with his his lady love. But I love him. I mean, he's got his quirk. So I feel like there are duds that I have appreciated that may have lacked personality, but have. Well, I guess maybe that's a contradiction if I'm saying they lack personality, but they have quirks. But this guy, it was just hard. It was hard. I don't know. It, it was hard for me to get. I I just had so many questions with RE7. I wonder what it would have been like had I played this game first and mm. not RE7. Yeah. Because I did have some major questions like, why are you doing this? What? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> because he had zero emotion in that one. It was, it was so bizarre. But this one, it's like, oh, well, it's a step up. But so maybe I, I'm biased because I played the seventh one. But that was sort of the point if you're if you're following along in Ethan's story. I'm glad you mentioned Crash Bandicoot because I, <gasps> I found a, a listicle that was the 10 best silent game protagonists. I just Ooh. wanted to I just wanted to know their rationales. Um, and with Crash Bandicoot, it makes sense because. I feel like there's a difference between speaking verbally and communicating generally. Mm. Um, and Crash is very expressive with body language. And that's a world that's sort of wacky and it, it fits, you know. And, and then in um, Skyrim, like that's a game. It's an RPG. You, you make your own story. And so you go anywhere and do things out of order. So it's just impossible to have like a, a character there. But in the, in the case of Ethan, like it's almost like I think he fails as silent protagonist because he does speak, which is yeah. sort of a, a logical, literal thing to say. But, you know, he has just enough personality that it actually, as we've identified, it runs counter to the player experience where you feel really on edge. And he's sort of trying to crack wise or just saying something that just lands with a thud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be sort of ruinous. Uh, and I think that, that that part of it comes from uh, the... the um, Gosh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> this happens a lot on a question. We don't have answers where I just, I'm talking and then the thoughts just sort of fall away. Nope. It's gone. That was terrible. I, I was sitting on that boy forever and it's gone. I'm so sorry. <sighs> well, if it comes right, back, you let me know. Yeah. I, I, as a, well, now I'm about to ask you another question. So I feel <laughs> bad about it, but do you think his lack of personality as we see it, because not everyone agrees with that heightens the personality of those around him? Like, does it actually do the game a service because you're able to focus on these really intriguing characters like Heisenberg, like Dimitrescu? Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I feel like their personalities would have been strong regardless and, and maybe would have even been better if you had more of a back and forth with them. Um, I know that you talk to 
people at Heisenberg, but it's always the same Ethan, like, I don't know, I don't know. Where, yeah. where's my daughter? Like, it's just the same thing. Yeah. Where's the trigger? It is like yeah. Batman. <laughs> it is. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I guess we've talked about it, but just the comparison to, to other protagonists, it's just I, it's so easy for me to get on board with Leon and Claire and Jill and Carlos. And even, you know, I will say with Carlos, I thought maybe I wasn't going to like him. Because the game is so centered on Jill, I thought, oh, man, you're forcing me to play as this other guy. But I do really like him. And he's got some wacky lines, too. But they're, like, done so well. And it cracks me up. So I don't know. It's just he, poor Ethan. I guess maybe I do want someone who's capable. And even though he's capable in, in eight or more capable than seven, mm-hmm. it's just I'm I'm not necessarily rooting for him which is really terrible to say because it's a father you know at at its base it's a father trying to find and save his daughter but it's just like hard (laughs) it's hard (laughs) to be like oh ethan (laughs) i'm supporting you 100 percent of the way (laughs) it is it's kind of impressive that they start with this premise that is uh pretty easy empathy and they manage to make a pretty unempathetic character And, and i think that Capability is a key word here, and this is the point that I had forgotten. No, did I forget it again? Oh, no, no, no. It's that silent protagonists are, I I think they're sort of set up to be, they have to be less intelligent than the player. Um, And so he's always saying things, like just pointing out really obvious things as sort of clues for where you're supposed to go next. He's like, huh, what do I do with this candlestick? Or like, you'd never say that, but, and so like, but that, that helps you as a player, but he just sounds like a, like a, like a dummy. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of the devil's bargain perhaps. Yeah. That was a great point. I'm glad we built up a lot of suspense around that. Um. <laughs> no, no, that's really interesting. I, I never really thought about that. I guess I, I would prefer my, I don't need to be left in the dark necessarily, but games can give you cues just with like text too, that if they're, if you're trying to, to figure it out, for I, I think of Uncharted, if you get stuck, sometimes the game will prompt you to open up your journal or the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like a side character like Sully might say something to Nathan that, you know, oh, what's this? Or that, you know, if you're taking too long, they might wander over somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I wish they were on par with my intelligence. <laughs> like we're in this together. Let's try to figure it out. And then if it's taking too long, maybe there's a prompt on something. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Mm. I In my notes, I said, OMG, not see his face. Does it border on the absurd? And so that's why I picked this image here. So I guess it goes to the I, I want to or the ideal of I want to see myself as Ethan situation. But uh, it gets ridiculous. I, I think <laughs> I was yelling with saying things like what well, this is ridiculous because <laughs> There are two two reasons. Number one, at the end of the game, did you see the end? Yeah. Okay. They did everything possible <laughs> to not show his face. And it the camera is panned out. So you see him fully with his daughter in his arms. His head is bowed. And, you know, then Chris, you can see everything of Chris, but they're not showing him. And that's why I texted you at one point. I said, have you ever seen Mary Jane Watson's first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man? And so that was a whole thing because you never saw 
her face. And, and right. Aunt May was always saying, Peter, I want to set you up. And so he just thought like, she must be one ugly lady, you know, and <laughs> you don't know because you've got plants hiding her face, all that. So it seemed like that, but it wasn't as fun. And I just thought this is the climax of his life. He's giving his life for his <laughs> daughter mission accomplished. Please show his face, but they didn't. It's ridiculous. And number two, I bought with some of the, the points that I accrued during the game plan. I bought the character model thinking, Oh, I'll be able to see his face. No, <laughs> <laughs> you cannot see his face. It is shadowed out. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So yeah. why? Harold, tell me why. Do you think it's bordering <laughs> on the absurd or it's just like you should what you should leave it alone and accept it, Stella? Well, it's possible he doesn't have a face. I mean, did you ever think about that? <laughs> You're right. No. It's a mold. But no one looks at him horrified when they first see him. So I can't believe that. I know. I, you know, we talked about the like the sort of the cipher or um, the Tabula Rasa type character where you want to be able to identify with him. And so he's not going to be talking and he's not going to have a face. I mean, this goes back to, you know, Halo, the original Doom. Although, no, you saw Doom guy's face. But there, there's just a certain school of thought that if if you it's, it's literally just down to the face um because it, it it's just so absurd because you know as we've mentioned like we still know that he's like a guy and we still know that he's like a white guy and so and a father and that's not everybody's experience um so even even if we can't see his face we still know like for me that's still not me i still can't really identify with ethan even even regardless of that fact and then it's so deliberate here where it's that sort of like Austin Powers, like hide the, the naughty bits um, that it's almost it feels like a like part of the text almost that like um, they're making some sort of statements or metatextual commentary on this exact kind of character. But I don't that doesn't ultimately pan out, I don't think, because what, what would the statement even be? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I will say and, and I'll bring this up again, that there there was a photo op that's not what it's called photo mode mod mm -hmm. which was used at the end and i'll give credit to that person once we get to that particular point but you could finally see his his ugly mug and so i thought well i guess that's what he looks like so all i know really is that he's a blonde a blonde character uh. oh but from the photo mode mod you can see a bit more but he looks like a sociopath if you ever look up because his <laughs> eyes his eyes he's got a bit a uh, roman nose as they say and wow. uh, what is that called esquiline no aquiline maybe nose? i don't know i can't remember okay <laughs> anyways i think it's bordering on the absurd maybe it's not even bordering it's fully absurd i wanted to see him especially in that moment that would have been the perfect reveal you know, that he was going to blow it up and you see his face. Why? 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 I don't get it. I know. It's much like what you discussed with Donovan about the Oscars, that weird bait and switch. Oh, it, was, it was the yeah. perfect time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You listened to my show. Yes. Well, I had to prepare. I had to know how to beat Donovan at guest appearances. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's it's a hard one. Okay. So there are some plot twists in here. At least I consider them one. First of all. Mia not being Mia. Mm -hmm. Ethan has actually died. He's dead. He's dead. He died at the beginning of RE7. I guess I'll go with those two. The other two are just uh, some questions there. So in your viewing of the gameplay, 
Were you <laughs> surprised about either of these things? How well do these plot twists work? I think I was less interested in the Mia twist because Mia dying, I, like, I feel like she's already died. And so I was like, I, I just don't believe, you know, I believed Ethan, his reaction when he said, what the heck, Chris? I was like, I don't believe that she's dead because he's not reacting properly. So it was all on purpose, Stella. But I did, I did actually like the, the Ethan twist that he's been a zombie this whole time because I feel like that's, that's what a twist really should do. It should kind of recontextualize everything and, and set up something else. Um, and in this case, I mean, first of all, there's sort of a funny thing where when he's being told that actually you were mold the whole time, he keeps shouting, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And it was essentially like the way a zombie would say brains, brains. And so like, yes, he is a zombie. He's so single-minded in his pursuit, yeah. but it's also, it's just, uh, it's kind of, I don't know. It, again, it almost, it almost feels like a guest, a gesture towards deconstruction because like, seriously, like it is a guy who is like, they're very single-minded and trying to do this thing, trying to find his daughter, but he's been dead all along. It's almost, uh, it's almost Silent Hill style. So mm. I, I thought that was interesting. That is true. And and the plot twist, what's what's interesting about that, the, the Ethan dying, is that it's a plot twist that comes at the end of the second part, basically. You right, know, it's not yeah. a, a plot twist originally, but you've been going on this entire time. Basically, you played all of RE7 and then three quarters of RE8 thinking that your guy is okay and he was just killed by Miranda and actually no he's been dead all along so I agree with you that the Mia not being Mia wasn't as much of a plot twist like I was still surprised and then that explained why Chris Redfield happened to not be a villain because I think everyone's going in from the the teasers that what why is Chris Redfield killing Mia with zero emotion he's like sorry bang 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 Uh, so that explains that but yeah, the Ethan, like, oh, you've been dead all along. I was like, what? I, I was yeah. pretty shocked. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being taken aback with that whole thing. And then I think it explains so much because when I was playing, I don't know if you've seen this, but when Lady D has those Wolverine claws for, for nails, you're trying to get out of someplace and you pull a handle. And before you can complete the pull, <laughs> she swipes, she disconnects your arm with the hand and that is not the first time because that happened in the first one you lost your hand as well and you just reattach it so you have to not only run away from her and try to get around her i died in in that section by the way it's just too too close you have to pick up your hand as an (laughs) item (laughs) and then you have to run around again to avoid her and actually go through and then he just reattaches Throws yep. some uh, medicinal <laughs> liquid on it and he's okay. And that was when I texted you as like the most ridiculous and unbelievable thing that could happen has happened. And I was going to have one of a point of like, is this too video gamey? Was that too video gamey? But then it makes sense because at the time mm-hmm. I thought this is ridiculous. At least have some realism. But if he's been a mold and all that, then it makes sense that he does have those regenerative uh, powers. But I just wonder what other people were thinking, like, this is ridiculous. This is unbelievable. <laughs> but then it, it it starts to connect. So I liked that the shock value and that it answered questions and brought it back to reality a bit. 
Yes. I also really like that part too, because it was, it was more of that absurdity. Cause I think when he attaches his hand, there's a little bit of, <laughs> there's a ring of sleeve that he also attaches that kind of just fits on there. Um, that was pretty good. And then oh he just puts it on the, the alcohol. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, those YouTube comments that you read also, they were clearly in reaction to his, his fate that it was like, you know, Oh, he's dead now. And that was really sad. So I feel like him becoming a zombie was also it may, it makes him pitiful in a way, which might can recontextualize the sort of duddedness that he's just mm. so out of his element that it's that's to me that's his only positive attribute is that he's he's just pitiful and it's kind of it's a, it is kind of sad but not sad enough. Oh boy! So the last thing is is before we take our break is my question of do you think RE seven and eight is a duology? Can you truly appreciate one so long as you play the other or is it okay to just play one without the other? Yeah. I mean, so this is interesting because we will have two answers that come from different places. Cause I didn't play Resident Evil seven. And I think like uh, story-wise it's pretty um, smart the way the games flow into each other. I appreciate that. But aesthetically, I think that's kind of where the clash comes in. So when you're in this European village and it's vampires and werewolves and you flash back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's just, I don't know, like that's the kind of like weird nitpicky thing for me personally that I wish if you're going to have something relate, then it has to sort of relate aesthetically as well. Mm -hmm. And this was such a departure, which is why it was cool. But I don't know, but it's not a big deal. I, I think it does work as this sort of interesting sort of mini episode within a larger story. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking about that sort of the the jarring nature of going from this beautiful setting to, you know, the Louisiana, basically, that something that works well with the two and three remakes that I've been doing is that there are overlaps between the two. Like I was telling you how Carlos, you're in the police station and he does some things that you will see in two, like he blows up the wall in the shower and you see that as Leon and Claire and you don't know how that happens. So that's nice how there's sort of that thread and those two are really tied together because those stories are overlapped. I feel like it is a duology, if only because you can't really fully appreciate that plot twist unless you've played seven and under understood what he's gone through. And I think simplistically, I mean, it is Ethan and Mia and and Ethan's story. So those two really uh, work together. But I feel like you can play eight and still really enjoy it and appreciate it. It's just like that particular element won't work as well if you don't have the background of seven. Mm, I agree with that. Yeah. Which is a bummer because if you don't want to play, because seven, again, is just really gross. So if you don't want to play it, it's just unfortunate that. You know, you'll be like, oh, wow, he's dead. How did he die? Who's that guy kicking his head in? Oh, that's up. Who's Evelyn? Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, they offer you a little uh, recap at the beginning of eight if you want to know the story. Yes. And they did. I was waiting to see if they would show Chris's face because right. w- when we get back from our break, we'll talk about that redesign. But they didn't. So they <laughs> they were pretty smart about that. But yes, they did. They did give that, um, which I guess maybe it was a hint that something big was going to go down. Since you needed to recap that, because I feel like there's no recap in the other Resident Evil series (laughs) previously on Code Veronica. Uh, (laughs) I think that's all I have on on this section. What do you think? You want to take a break? Yeah, that's 
That's pretty good. I have to heal my hand. So okay. that takes a while. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, there is a, now that you've seen the rest of the, the video game, you, <laughs> there's a video that says, I think it's Capcom hates Ethan's hands <laughs> and it's pretty funny. I mean, it's, he gets, yeah, it's ridiculous because even after when the caravan or just the van breaks down and you're going through barbed wire, like you get cut yeah. right away. <laughs> and then the lichen bites off two of your fingers. <laughs> and then it's just all sorts of things are happening. You get pierced when you first see Lady D and she holds you. It's yeah. just like, what is it with him and his hands? <laughs> it's a good question. Okay, so we'll take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about characters more. So definitely the the four houses and the lords and the settings and then um, some bigger questions at the end. I did have a song picked out (laughs) because you keep mentioning Natalie and (laughs) Brulia. I think that I'll have torn by Natalie and Brulia. So when we come back, so that's what we'll do. We'll take a break. And uh, this is IS's Radio Hour featuring Torn by Natalie
Okay, welcome back. So now we're going to our second, there are only going to be two parts. <laughs> and I said it wasn't going to be as long as the other one, but I, I really don't think it will be. So let's talk about the setting. First of all, I guess I put settings. Do you have anything to say overall? Because I know once we get to the four house lords, I, I talk about those settings. But this was something that enticed you to the game initially really was was the setting so what was it about the european setting that yeah. that i mean i it's not something that i i've seen a lot i mean i think you have this sort of gothic victorian vibe in bloodborne um and in this case it's more of a pastiche like especially uh castle demiscreet it's more actually like i think like american in some regards like her her big floppy hat yeah um but it's just i don't know it's uh it was cool. It's not like a, a spaceship or uh, a tropical island. It was it was different. And um, I think it's it was a cool, cool departure to, to have more sort of fantasy horror elements um, in the mix. Uh, and to the general locations themselves, like here we have uh, the, the Great Hall or one of the Great Halls of Castle D. Um, and there's just something very unsettling about the the design uh, of these structures and just being inside them and sort of knowing that there's danger uh, beyond every wall it kind of reminds me of like those prank videos from like the days of e-bombs worlds where you would be looking at something and somebody would tell you to look for a detail and all of a sudden this horrifying ghoul face would pop out and you'd <laughs> fall out of your chair it has that kind of energy where you just you know you're driving you're driving towards poking around and unlocking things but that only brings you closer to the horror yeah and and this i think there are certain ones like the factory for instance mm. i think you can expect just because it's so dark that you know something's going to happen to you but with the castle i feel like almost its beauty makes it seem slightly non-threatening like oh you know this is so pleasant nothing <laughs> bad could happen but that's the danger that that certainly it draws you in really and that makes you i think more vulnerable but yeah i really liked it. i liked the village it was it's interesting a lot of the juxtapositions i guess are just how you know the village compares to the castle the castle to the factory the dam or the quarry or whatever that place was to all these so it's like really distinct areas but they somehow all work together which i think is really interesting and and yeah i think we probably talked about it before just it was a it's a distinct setting and it feels like it's almost out of time as well yeah and so that and with the Resident Evil games that I've been playing, you know, there's inevitably a lab that you'll be in and there's a police <laughs> station in the city. So it was it's a departure, at least for me, who's, you know, I'm not going to consider myself a veteran player. I'd say I'm like a maybe a step above rookie. But so it, it was nice to, to have that difference there, which I guess, you know, props to seven, you know, having the bayou. That's completely different, too. And, and this right. kind of haunted house esque, which would go back to resident evil one so yeah yeah the castle is very mansion like of course and so yes. that's very classical absolutely okay well we'll get more into some of these settings once we talk about them i want to talk about some specific characters so the duke we'll start with him you said you liked this guy <laughs> i i kind of like him because he's 
there's something funny about him and it's not his appearance. It's just, it's his literal appearance that he just sort of appears everywhere sort of out of, <laughs> out of random. Like um, when he pops up in Castle Dennis Creed, it's like, what it like, what are the rules here? Cause like, yeah. how are you? Cause when you go into that room, like they won't follow you in there. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, and so and he's just like, he, you know, he's kind of one of these, you, you assume sort of the gods of the village where he's very powerful uh, but he just seems to be really interested in selling you things, uh, which is sort of functional in the gameplay. But that's just what his dialogue is about. Sometimes he gives you riddles and sometimes he just comments on, you know, he's like, oh, I saw your eye on that dog, or, you know, whatever item <laughs> like it's I don't know. I found it funny. Yeah, I yeah, he has humor. He has he's intriguing because he knows a lot. Yeah. And so I feel like there's got to be a reason. It's not just, hey, he's providing exposition for us. But I felt like, oh, man, are you somehow like involved? Are you a lord or, you know, are you? I don't know. I just feel like he's got some sort of backstory. And yeah, they don't follow you in that room. I can promise you, mm-hmm. because I had run away from Lady D several <laughs> times and went in there. But if you look around him, just the accoutrement, like he's got onions or garlic, sorry, garlic hanging down and he pops up in bizarre places. But it's almost like either he's really protected because he knows what he's doing or does he have an agreement with some of these people that he can hang out here and he's like sacrosanct and he's not going to get touched. Like he's just a really intriguing character. There's such mystery around him that I'd love to, to know more. And he has some fun comments. If you, if I hope you continue playing, but <laughs> if you can hunt uh, pigs, chickens and fish. And then, there are certain recipes that he will make and it increases your health and the end uh, blocking abilities. And he eats what you eat. So it's really interesting <laughs> that he's making this meal for you, presumably, but he makes both enough for both of you. It's like, oh, this is good, which totally makes sense. And there's one line, which I wouldn't know unless I had watched videos, but he sometimes says, what are you buying? That's just something an old friend of mine used to say. And that's wow. what the merchant used to say in Resident Evil 4. So there are there are fun things. And even when he's working on your guns, he'll say like, uh, my fingers are more dexterous than you might think. So he has nice little <laughs> cues. I mean, they repeat. So it's not I've heard them a couple times. So it's not endless, but it's I feel like he's a fleshed out NPC that otherwise would just be like, I, I have I'm going to buy stuff, you know, a sell like in you mentioned Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Those sellers, you just sell. There's no really interaction between yeah. you <laughs> besides the start and finishing conversation. But this guy is seems to be like a pretty fleshed out character. Yeah. And it's almost it doesn't even seem like they had to go that far and be creative. So I appreciate that because he's sort yeah. of tertiary to the story. But um, I'm glad you mentioned the merchant from RE4 because that is it, it's almost like he created this like precedent that or, or lineage that you have to make a really whacked out merchant although they didn't in resident evil 5 he was just at the end of the level they would just have a screen um, where you could buy things which was sad but you know that original merchant was such a, a source of classic internet humor the what are you buying what are you selling i don't buy it at a high price that like if anybody's seen the ultra 64 mega 64 video where they they just have a guy dressed up like that and he's going around and people asking what are you buying <laughs> that's pretty funny oh boy uh, yeah i'll have to look that up i hope since it seems like there's going to be 
a third, but it'll just be following Rose that mm-hmm. this guy pops up again and, and he's got that tie in there and says, I mean, I guess that would be, he'd be 20 years older. You think he'll be okay. He's not going to have like a bypass surgery. I don't know. I know, but just yeah. have that connection and, and see what that would be like. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'd like to see him again. Yeah. Okay. The next character, I kind of feel like she's minor compared to like the other, even though, her specter is like all over the game, but you only encounter her for a very brief period of time, but we have mother Miranda. So thoughts on what you've seen of her. And then I also thought about uh, right before we started recording that this is the second game with a, a lead slash climactic female antagonist because Evelyn was the main antagonist in RE7. So uh, is there any thought about like, is that, progressive that hey we've got these female <laughs> you know these female antagonists uh in this particular duology whereas maybe it was all male driven which is true i guess mr x and nemesis and all of that stuff um yeah so thoughts on her and then is there anything we can we can applaud capcom for mm, uh mega man was pretty good now um uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's for you donovan um I, I, I'll give Miranda a meh because I think she's kind of a cliche, like I got to resurrect. I mean, she's basically like Imhotep from the mummy. Oh. Um, and, but it is, it's just weird because like, that's probably, that could be fine, mm-hmm. but this is a game full of character. So to have the final, like the ultimate bad guy be sort of just like, Oh, I got to save my daughter. Like, oh, geez, never heard that one before. Um, and that sort of goes right into the, I don't know, fatherhood versus motherhood. Like what's, mm. who deserves the child? This is really about, this is a, a misandry parable. parable. Oh, um, yeah. I think about child custody, which really favors the mother. I think and that's unfair, but uh, I, I, I don't know. She's, she seems fine. I, I, I personally, like I, I've talked about female villains um, on our own show a, a fair bit more than is necessary. I, I'd say um, Q and a, but I like, I'm, I'm mostly fine with, lady villains but i don't get excited in the same way like i don't find them quote-unquote empowering um that's not how they interest me so like i was never really into harley quinn for example i like that i appreciate that she's sort of anarchy but she's never really gonna win in the end unless Mm. it's her, her her own story um and so miranda is like yeah she's very powerful but ethan got the better of her this this kid from from brooklyn or wherever he's from yeah I don't even know what his back is. I don't even care. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, her character design is pretty cool. I So in comparison to Evelyn, for instance, I, I would say that she's cooler looking than Evelyn. But you're right that it's almost well-trod territory because the shape-shifting thing, yep. I feel like, you know, Evelyn was doing that in RE7. And I knew that. The, they call her the hag, but that old woman in the village, I was like, there's no way that this woman that's got to be mother Miranda. Wow. And um, yeah. So I just thought, ah, oh, what, what makes her distinct as a villain? Right. And I, I potentially her relationship with the mega and, and Oswell, you know, so she was a scientist even way back when. So she's really the creator or not really the creator, but it's almost like, the origin point of umbrella and the resident evil series. So that was intriguing, but I agree that other than that, I mean, you, 
you just hear about her constantly. So it seems like she's huge, but it's just the other people and, and what are their relationships with her? And, and you find out Heisenberg is really resentful of, of what he did, of what she did to the village. And the villagers have different opinions that, oh, she protects them, but also she's experimenting on them. Moreau's a bit of a sycophant. Can't really <laughs> tell about Beneviento and what her thoughts are. And then Lady D, I think she appreciates her, but also she could totally like, she gets upset and frustrated with her as well. So it's more Mm -hmm. interesting other characters' reactions and relationship with her than the character herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Much, much like Ethan (laughs) parallels. Oh boy. It is true. It is true. Miranda is also funny. I mean, the, the whole origin of the T virus and umbrella is funny because my, my one of my podcasting idols, uh, Zoe from Friends for the Internet and Fast Karate, she was a big Resident Evil fan. Like, wrote a lot of the the speed facts on Game Facts for like two and three and things like that. Um, and she was always lamenting that the story of Resident Evil, each successive game, would introduce a new inventor of the T virus, um, and that was sort of like the basis of the drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, it's like it's just you know it's the same same as it's always been. perpetuating. Yeah, I guess it's the was it the only way. Was Miranda the only way to tie the whole series together? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, w- I would have been fine with just scientists trying to create super soldiers or whatever it has always yeah. been. But I, it's kind of interesting, I guess. I don't know. And I guess the sub-question of that would be, or the follow-up would be, does the whole series need to be tied together? Right. Yes. I think that's that's one of the ultimate questions. Yeah. Well, Anyway, so Miranda's, she's dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else I could say, but but I can totally get the, I don't know if you're joking or not, but the child custody, I mean, if you see the parallels between, yeah, why isn't, you know, my daughter versus your daughter? Right. I just think that it's, if they had pushed on a little bit more, I could take it more seriously, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it feels almost accidental and it's, it surely isn't, but I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Okay, well, we will move on to the four houses and the lords of those houses. And throughout, we'll just talk about organization, setting, atmosphere, and gameplay. And we'll go in order. So we'll talk, of course. <laughs> Here's Lady <laughs> D with the three daughters. I could have, there are so many pictures that I, I could have could have used, certainly. So, and there's so much fan art. So, uh, they did not know <laughs> that there would be a huge, I don't know, many bloody noses if people are fans of anime <laughs> over this woman and just going gaga over her fetish or not, you know, just like, who is this woman? So my, they had no, they were so like, they're overjoyed, but also confused. So actually my first question is, do you think that they did a disservice to this character as well as maybe the players? I use the word orchestrating, but using her early and having it relatively short. Yeah, I know. I I was pretty surprised by that. The, the chase sequence I thought would be a lot a lot longer um so i i don't know i mean when it comes to the the greater plot i mean she is a a supporting role and i don't think she's any more sort of unique or compelling than the other lords 
certainly personally, I think she's the most interesting, but um, to the game itself, I think that I'm glad that after the internet reacted and the producers realized what they had on their hands, they didn't go back and make her a bigger part of the game. They, mm-hmm. they kept it as is. I, I think that that speaks to um, a certain integrity um, that they didn't try to, you know, ride their prize horse all the way to market or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't think she could have been given her story, the alpha, I guess, of the first of the, of the Lords, mm-hmm. but there was an interesting dynamic between her and Heisenberg. Like those two are the right. most, I think, competent. And so I suppose it makes sense organizationally that you have those bracketing the whole uh, story, but I almost wish that she would have been either used, you know, more or longer, but yeah, I mean, she is, she's, (laughs) I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't have this particular fetish, but (laughs) I, I will say that she's like really intriguing uh stylistically like i love her wardrobe and i took a picture at one point if you follow me on twitter you can probably see the screenshot at background oracle but like she has the exact same wardrobe hanging up somewhere i'm like that's apparently all she wears um (laughs) and yeah just with her daughters which you find out which this was a question that we had earlier on you know what what role should files and those sorts of things play because those aren't her biological children, but she experimented on them, which is almost like a, I guess, pay it forward because she was experimented (laughs) on. And then these women, and she wasn't always this tall. So that was something else you learned from the files. And she dwarfs Mr. X and Nemesis, which is hilarious. But yeah, I, I wish I would have had more experience with her now don't get me wrong i don't like being chased around that makes me nervous (laughs) but i she was just an intriguing character i liked her style and the beauty of the setting too it's such a short time like i said I, i think more or less 90 minutes and then you compare it to the factory and it Mm. just seems like the factory is interminable and at one point ethan gets shoved down and he's at the because you made it to the peak of the factory and then he gets pushed down and he survives somehow but now (laughs) and he's he looks up and he says like not again or like you've got to be kidding me because (laughs) he knows that he he has to do it all over again so it's that's unfortunate just like they're, they're able to meld the beauty with the horror. And I would almost love to experience that longer, this unsettling beauty versus, oh, this is really ugly and it's also horrific. But Yeah, yeah. because if you're in this sort of industrial setting, that's you, it, it, it's expected, I guess, yeah. almost. So there's something perverse about something so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there might also be a sort of like, subconscious fear of women thing going on that stretches back to i mean this i mean this whole sequence is pretty impressive because it's also like when the first trailers for this game came out it was kind of shocking because of the the fantasy elements and because of this character that like how is this a resident evil game like it just seems so so different um and while she's not the most fantastical character in terms of like she's not like animating dolls or whatever um she is kind of the the greatest departure in terms of that aesthetic because she like it's as as somebody pointed out online it it recalls um the original dracula novel the wives of dracula Mm. um and that this is very much 
about vampires. I mean, Ethan keeps calling them witches, which I think he thinks is a hilarious pun. Um, but they're they're vampires. They drink blood out of yeah. wine glasses, and as it's very it's cool how the the backstory was able to sort of like just engineer this or basically adapt this aesthetic and make it in line with Resident Evil. Uh, I think that's cool. Yeah, and and I mean there is a sensuality with vampires. Yeah, so that it totally plays on that for sure. Mm-hmm. And a sadomasochism because there's also beneath the beautiful mansion or castle uh, is the cellar, which right. is another, which is more like the industrial space. It's, it's creepier. Um, and there's a lot of torture implements. <laughs> yes. And they, yeah, you find out that they drain people's blood there. Yeah. There's one section you're like going through the cellar and it's filled with blood. You're like yeah. waiting in it. And then vampires are popping out of the waiting. You got to take them down. It's crazy. Who were those um, vampires? Who were they? Yeah, it was interesting because I saw something that I was doing right before we started recording that the vampires were they're like female. They didn't say minions, but like the people that were working. Oh, and I thought, oh, how how did you get that? I didn't get that at all. I just thought they were. But maybe that makes sense, because if they messed up, they were always brought down there. But I thought they were brought down to be drained and like dismembered so i don't know how that person got there and i can't remember now where it was but i thought well i guess that makes sense of where those people may have come from Mm -hmm. you could even sort of just put it together in your head like i think like in the descent the movie where they don't say what the monster is but you can sort of figure it out um and i think that's cool when you have the the riffraff the the most basic enemy types they have a a backstory and a context as well which is kind of scary in this case yeah I'm thinking now just we've gotten on this topic of of motherhood and it seems to be a theme that's kind of dragging through. Like she wants to have these daughters. Uh, mother Miranda is the one that helps her out with that. And Mia, of course, as a mother. And, and then I think about just how uh, beautiful Lady D is compared to Marguerite Baker. I think her name was yeah. Marguerite and, and how horrifying she was. And also that boss battle was so gross because like (laughs) i don't know her uterus is like it's so gross um but just like that's interesting i I wonder what the thought process is of like family (laughs) and motherhood and the the differences between them whether you're i don't know i don't know this is a game for vin diesel because i heard he loves family um oh you're right he does (laughs) i i i I think if we were crasser or if this was 10 years ago we would sort of conjecture about the people who made this game and their sort of limited experience with women or families but we're not going to do that (laughs) no we're not i was trying to think if if they have are they stuck in sort of a, a societal or cultural idea that women can only be mothers right yeah but well i don't know who the creators are compared to you know jill and let me think about Jill. Jill, I would say yes, uh, because uh, Claire, even though she's my favorite, she does, you know, you got Sherry Birkin in the end and right. it does seem like she's kind of taken on like this proto motherhood. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That was just a pop. Uh, I did not form that thought well uh, because that just popped up in my brain. So I know this is a tricky one. I mean, Leon also had a an escort similar to that. I forget That's what her right. name was. But, oh, yeah. yeah. 
I can't remember. I know that she's like annoying or people yeah. get annoyed by her. <laughs> so here's hoping if they remake that one uh, again, that they uh, will learn from their mistakes. Yes. Um, okay. Do you want to move on to the next Lord? Why well, I had one note here that oh, was just um, what makes her different in terms mm. of like the, the folder all, because like, what was your reaction to the, when, when lady D broke wide on the internet? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, they used, I, it's so, it boggles the mind that they didn't know there'd be this sort of reaction because <laughs> she's like the, the centerpiece of their teaser. Yeah. What, what was my reaction? Uh, to be crass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which Please I said do. this to you, but I'll be crass here. I was like, good Lord, the size of those tatas. <laughs> um <laughs> But she she is really intriguing. I don't know. And and I don't think it's like an erotic uh, sentiment that I'm putting forward. But it's just like I part of me is thinking, oh, she kind of has like a flapper ish style to yeah. maybe not exactly. But I yeah, there's just like this movie like old school Hollywood style to her that I really like. And, and the fact that she has to bend down through her her own doors to move through and how she moves like that is so particular and and this was motion cap so i'm just like applauding the the actress just her mannerisms her hand gestures she's a fancy lady she seems very <laughs> which is interesting because how did this fancy lady live in that, well, I guess this, this is her castle, but it's just really interesting to think about her compared to like these peasants that are just right. down the hill. But I suppose that's just the nature of some of these villages that you would have a lord or, you know, something like that with 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 peasants next door. So I'm intrigued of what her backstory is with her family and, and all of that. But they have like a coat of arms and all of that stuff. So I th- that was I just feel like I've ver- verbally vomited. But uh, <laughs> those were all of my reactions. <laughs> but the first one was definitely like, good Lord, the size of those topics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate the flapper uh, reference because I think that it's, we mentioned Dracula, it's kind of an inversion in terms of the, like Dracula was this sort of Eastern European foreigner who was in London. And so he sort of clashes with the the surroundings, but mm. she almost just speaks that sort of like, you know, pre-World War II American in this sort of Eastern European setting. So I think that's, I don't know, maybe that was conscious on their part too. But yeah, Lady D is definitely the the breakout character for this game. She became an internet sensation. And yeah. um, it, it, it really sort of unmasked a lot of people who really just <laughs> want to be stepped on by tall ladies. And they were they were out and proud about it. And it was it was pretty funny. But of course, you know, if you if you look on even Wikipedia, you'll see that the action was mixed because everything, everything will be. Some people say that like you know, the whole step on me thing is uh, making light of sexual violence. It's not really consensual BDSM. And, you know, Lady D isn't really interested in consensual BDSM, but it is a, a fantasy game where you can sort of read these things into it. And there's been a lot of fan fiction. It's been a lot of pornography. Um, it's uh, It was fun. She was definitely the main character of the Internet for a little while. Absolutely. Yeah. People saying, I'll run into her arms. I'm like, I, no, I mean, I've got, I got killed by her, but I was trying to run away for sure. 
I did try to explain to my mother like this whole thing. She was a a bit boggled. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's a lot that makes her interesting and intriguing, as you say. I mean, there's the style. There's just the fact that she is very tall and you don't really see that. um, Because, and also somebody had mentioned that it's like, it's cool that she is sort of a a mother and she's not just Mm -hmm. another young character. and, And that's pretty interesting too. And for my part, I've, uh, recently been following this uh, actress uh, in some K-dramas who's taller than average. And she talks about how she doesn't, she has a hard time finding roles because people aren't as interested in her because she's not tiny. And I think that that's kind of hard. Uh, and so it's it's not so much that Lady D is going to be a trailblazer for representation, but it's just, it's sort of like a reflection of maybe we've, it, it's different. And that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And the actress herself is six feet tall, I believe. Right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So at least there was some representation there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that voice, my God. Yeah. Just wonderful. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So I would say top character for me. Anyways, I, I think I so. would I would say so. Yes. yes Number I, I two, think, yes. Ethan Winters. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> Going to kick you from the call now. <laughs> no. I don't want to contradict myself, though, because I did say that I think the most like intriguing voice act or like uh, acting was Heisenberg. So I do want right. to at least say that. I know that it seemed like I was car- uh, contradicting myself. <laughs> OK, you want to move on to Donna and Andy? Uh, if we must. If we must. If Donna Beneviento and her doll Angie, I will say that I knew or understood the least about this particular character. Mm-hmm. Donna has some sort of facial disfiguration and uh, she, the, that weird thing that they put in inside of people. Now I've forgotten what that thing was called. Oh, it's like the K do or something. Yeah. Like that. Um, she's, she uses part of that to basically have these dolls uh, live and interact with her. I think she, trouble troubling childhood and didn't have many friends and things like that and also there's this flower i might be it's either the flower itself or she uses her powers for the flower to create this hallucinogenic state for people which explains some of the situations that ethan gets into because when he's in that house he sees mia mia and rose walking around Mm-hmm. And then once he leaves, he's he's A-OK. But this was probably the most horrifying gaming experience I have ever experienced. You lose your weapons right away, like the lights go off and then they go on and you don't have anything. He's like, what? And <laughs> yes, we'll we'll talk about the baby. The you mentioned PT earlier. That's what I felt like I was experiencing, and I never wanted to play PT, which you can't anymore. Apparently, it's like a rare gem. But you just have to figure out how to get out of the house, (laughs) (laughs) and you've got this. We've got hallucinations, and then you have this ginormous baby fetus thing that is that's got a placenta trail and it comes after you and if you it'll it'll shove you in its mouth if you get caught because that's the run and hide thing 
And then the end, the the boss battle itself is just you finding Angie in three different hiding places and stabbing her. And so it's a bit of a lackluster, is like very anticlimactic. But the yeah. whole thing was like, oh man, is this what this is probably what Resident Evil, you know, it's classic would have felt like. And so I was experiencing that and shaking at the same time. (laughs) But I feel like, again, just the organization, because you go off of a nerve wracking experience with Lady D following you everywhere. And then this is hyper intense. And then you, you, well, we'll get to the next one, but I feel like, I don't know, they, they up the ante and then they cut it off right away. And and it, it was weird that organization was weird i don't know where i would have put this i don't know if i would have put it before lady d but yeah i mean of what you've seen you said did you skip this section uh, i think i saw most of it okay i mean what are your thoughts i guess um on <laughs> the atmosphere what goes down <laughs> oh my gosh i mean it's weird because it's a sort of it's a difficult setting to really name it's not as specific as a Victorian castle or something like that. I keep saying Victorian. I don't think that's correct, but you know what I mean? And in this case, it's really just like a house, but it's so scary. And I think it's all, um, it's the lighting uh, much like with uh, dead space, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's just like, that was mm-hmm. a masterclass in lighting and sound design. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's just really like, it's just so eerie. Um, and the way the light bounces off of the, the halls and the walls, it, it is very much like PT, which was, probably the scariest thing I've ever seen. And this like, you know, creepy doll, always creepy um, and creepy baby. <laughs> like it's just, it's a little too much. I think. Yeah. I wasn't expecting the baby, like the doll. That was enough uh, because yeah. you're like, is this doll going to pop up? And you, there are dolls everywhere. And at one point you go into this little closet and a doll has a scissor and you have to go get the scissor. And there's a Mia, a replicant. Let me get this correct a human sized doll it is positioned to replicate the death pose of fake mia oh. which is very bizarre and you're like searching in it there are three different things you're like finding different things it's it's yeah. all it all comes together like the whole house is a big puzzle and you have to go different places to get all the pieces to to figure out the last thing but i'm going up the stairs and that baby comes and then all you can do is turn around and run the other way and find a closet to hide in. And then it comes into the room and it looks around and it starts crying. And then it leaves and you're following its little placenta tail um, or placenta trail. And it does it again. It does it three times. The second time I was trying to get into a closet and I was not getting the button prompt for <laughs> examine to, or to close the yeah. door. And I was freaking out. So then I go <laughs> under the bed. And then the third time you can't hide, you have to trick it by going around a giant table. And then you have to go to an elevator and you're like waiting for the elevator. <laughs> it was, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. Yeah. So I, I think that was successful. Um, the story, I, you know, trying to figure out more about her. I don't know if I missed something, but just that was poor. I think just I would have wanted a bit more explanation, but maybe they thought we wouldn't care about her. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like, you know, canonically Miranda really cares about Donna because she's pretty yeah. messed up, not as intelligent as the others. But yeah. yeah, I mean, that that baby is pretty, it's pretty laudable. And it just makes you wonder if the reviewers who said this game wasn't scary even saw that thing because yeah. um, they really tapped into like what is sort of 
terrifying about babies, which is a lot because babies are just, they're little weird mutant creatures. <laughs> and this one, I mean, it's essentially like halfway through Tetsuo's transformation in Akira. Um, but he's also just got this like mouth that's sort of long, like a line, like a vertical line, which is just weird. Uh, and, but the sounds are sort of barely modulated, uh, just baby noises. So it's like, they already know, like, that's just, there's something probably psychological at play that it just sort of plays on our either sympathy or I, I don't even know, but like that part's not mutated at all, but it still works. And it's just very, it's a, it's a tour de force in horror. Yeah. As I might, as I might say. And it would seem really random, but it's, it's almost as if it's Rose because I kept saying it was he, like I kept saying he, he, he was coming right. after me, but really it's probably supposed to play on it as if you yeah. know, it were Rose and, and Rose is coming after because she it does say you know daddy and and all weird stuff so i think that actually you could put this sequence first because that's when it's really like i gotta find my daughter yeah Uh, and so i think that would make more sense yeah i would agree uh okay we'll go to this little guy Salvatore wow. Moreau. And this is actually when Ethan did something really dumb that now it's popped <laughs> up in my mind because you can easily grab the piece of rose that Moreau has, but uh, instead you like stand right there and then Moreau turns around and, or he, Ethan may prompt him by saying something. I'm like, you could have just grabbed it and run and you would not have had any of these issues. Yeah. But he clearly He's a, I, I called him a sycophant. I totally agree with that. Like he wants to do everything to please Miranda. Miranda, I think is probably grossed out by him. Doesn't really care about him. <laughs> he is a gross individual. This is like part two of his stage. He normally wears like a cloak over him. At one point he vomits this green sludge near <laughs> Ethan and Ethan doesn't even respond. I would be like, what is that? You know, and back away and like, you're so gross. What's going on? And then he turns into a giant fish that you have to fight. And the gameplay here, I would say, is pretty actiony because what you're he's just swimming around. And if you mm-hmm. are on a floating dock of some sort and it's not secured, if it's that type of floating dock, then he can and he comes by, he can kill you. And so it's basically a maze and you, you just have to find your way out of it and and sink the you have to find parts for a windmill, I think it was. And no, it was a, what are those called? Well, we'll just say windmill. And <laughs> lower the water level. And then there's a boss battle and all of that. So so we have a more action-y type of gameplay here. And then he's really focused on the science. Like you find his, I shouldn't say like, that's terrible. But you find his journal entries and he's the one that's been experimenting with the the Kado or the Kadu. So he was helpful to Miranda in that sense that he was able to experiment and, and see whether the subjects were able to take it or not. But mm-hmm. oh, what do you think about this character? This guy feels more of like the classical Resident Evil boss because he's a big mutant thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that face is uh, <laughs> that's definitely pretty disturbing because it's just it's bigger than it should be. And he's also, he looks quite sad. So would you say that they were trying to make him sort of pitiful in any way? I think so. I I would say of the four, like I certainly 
felt some sympathy for him because he yeah. clearly wanted some love and, and just his transformation did not work out well. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a face that a mother could love, unfortunately no. for that poor guy. So I, I did feel bad for him and he was just doing everything he could to please mother Miranda. So, yeah. Hmm. Also the name Moreau. I mean, I guess that's sort of like yeah. the, the Island of Dr. Moreau, something there. Yeah, it does play off of that. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's really work. Yeah. I don't have too much to say about him. It was more of like a run and survive situation. It reminds me of, I don't know if you played Batman Arkham Asylum, but the, the killer croc section when you're in the sewers and you have to tiptoe so that he doesn't know that you're there. Or if you run, then he'll come up after you. So it almost reminded me of that. You're very cautious. Uh, was it a difficult sequence? Cause it was so different. I that's interesting the maze I suppose was a bit difficult but other than that I I know especially because there aren't any other enemies that are coming after you it's just him and you just avoid him by looking where he is or when he has passed you and then you run across so not too terrible I would say okay you just gotta look at him and that's that's the hardest part Uh, yeah that is true as, yeah, poor guy. Oh, look at the little fish. You should be. Oh, this did he <gasps> be related to you? <laughs> this, this. <laughs> if I was anybody in this game, it would be him. Oh boy. Okay, and then our last guy is Heisenberg, or I, as I like to call him, the Big Lebowski. <laughs> I've not seen anyone else call him that, so I feel like I could trademark it me because I've called yeah. him that from the very beginning. But he, he. He's really interesting. He has powers that I thought they were telekinetic powers, but I guess it's more so, which I only figured out through the files, has to do with a type of like not static electricity, but some sort. He's basically like Magneto, but he's really only dealing with metal, which is why the tank that used to fight him is some sort of composite that Chris helpfully tells us is a composite material. But you think that he is in thrall with Mother Miranda, but then you find out actually, no, he really resents her and the experimentations and really wants to take her down. And Ethan could have helped him, but decides not to. I I did like that. There's almost a ring composition with this story because you actually encounter him first. He's the mm-hmm. one that gets first dibs with Ethan and and has you run that gauntlet, which is, <laughs> I guess, gameplay that you don't really, you said you didn't really like, which I died. I couldn't figure out how to get past that one trap uh, until yeah. I found the little niche. And then he's the last guy that you have as well. He's cert- He's competent like Lady D and he's pretty powerful. And a, a compelling story. Yeah. I'm, and his design's pretty cool too, I would say, with his giant hammer there. So uh, any any thoughts on this character? I can't figure out, like, he's, he's, he seems so familiar, like, as soon as I saw him. And it wasn't just the dude. I feel like he's almost sort of alluding to, like, Solomon Kane or somebody like that with the, oh, interesting. the hat. But I don't know. It's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he's pretty interesting. I, I like that one of these characters does sort of break from the usual just the villain trying to get you um that he is he has a plan uh and he has his own agenda i think that that is pretty clever um but ultimately you know he's got to go down um and just the his environment is just 
like it's di- obviously we've we've outlined how it's different from mm-hmm. the castle but i do like it because it's it is that kind of marriage of uh other resident evil like traditional resident evil plus this new fantasy setting because it's industrial but it's also sort of like dated Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have these enemy types who are, you would call them cyborgs, but they're made out of like plane propellers. Um, and I don't know if you saw, but the director of the movie Frankenstein's Army, which is actually pretty good. Um, he was talking about how they ripped him off because yeah. the boss Strum, it looks a lot like one of the characters in Frankenstein's Army. But so that could be a pending litigation. Yeah, I actually just saw that uh, <laughs> when I was looking up a synopsis, I had scrolled down and, and seen that. Yeah, it's it's it also, I think, harkens back to classic Resident Evil, just that you've got these creations. And yeah. As you're saying, yeah, he's using all sorts of parts and he's using them. He's trying to create these this army or this perfect machine, perhaps to take down Miranda, which is really interesting. He's also the one who gives us major exposition later in the game about, you know, how this all came to be and what Miranda had done. Do you think that this is necessary? Do we need this? Because not everyone looks for the files and it's (laughs) this is the time to do it. Uh, I, I don't know because it it also depends on like who's giving exposition and like, why is it this guy? I guess it, it, I don't know. Maybe it kind of works because it's, it is functional. The exposition exposition doesn't just stand alone. He is trying to get you onto his side, but, uh, you know, I, I think, I think it works actually now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, I was, when I was playing or I guess potentially when I was making these notes, I wondered whether it's good to have exposition so late in the game. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I, one of the things that I keep coming back to is that it is a mystery story. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess they're trying to withhold things, but if you're even asking this question, then I think that they didn't quite succeed because you need to know just enough to know nothing. You can't just know nothing and then know everything all of a sudden for sure. Yeah. And Heisenberg, he pops in sometimes. So I feel like, wasn't there time or could the Duke have yeah. done this? Could right. any, yeah. Who could have, I don't know. I guess the villagers were not in the know. They only knew that mother Miranda used to protect them. And now these monsters are there and she's no longer, why isn't she protecting us? So I don't know when it would have happened, but it would have been nice to at least know that this is what mother Miranda has been doing. And then when you get to Heisenberg, find out this was not, consent because i didn't yeah these experimentations yeah that would have worked better yeah Mm -mm -mm. okay uh anything else on any of the four lords it kind of seems like the like this wasn't really how the bosses were structured in resident evil games at least in five you just had sort of big monsters or characters we run into like the batter pillar but in this case it seems like they're sort of drawing from resident evil 7's structure where you had every member of the baker family um and also kind of reminds me of like the way far cry games work after three where you have this small cast of characters who are all bosses um so i think that's kind of interesting and it, it provides another opportunity for intriguing characters and i think for the most part they really did well in that department yeah, and they're yeah, they're so distinct. I don't know how other Resident Evil games necessarily work, but with two and three, and I'm so sorry I keep mentioning them, but they're there, it's all I have. With two and three, you're basically fighting the same thing, but it just 
keeps getting worse and worse and worse because it's yeah. mutating. I mean, Nemesis, I think I fought him three different, three or four different times. It's just in different modes. So, yeah, this was interesting because you're fighting four completely, well, five completely different entities and the tactics are different that you have to use, which is true, I guess, for Nemesis. You have to use different tactics. So this, but it was interesting. You're not like, oh, no, Nemesis again. You're like, oh, who is this? How am I going to defeat this person? I miss Nemesis. Oh, yeah. Poor old guy. Okay. Uh, so just, we could just have Chris, uh, what happens in the end and then, uh, our final questions, but Chris here, and I found this one because he has a redesign. Do you feel like I'll, I'll start back by saying, did you feel like playing as him was a plot twist? Mm -hmm. Right. I guess they've kind of been building towards that. And I would have been disappointed if, if Ethan was the only guy, um, because, you know, ever since the beginning of the announcement of Resident Evil 7, it was like, oh, it's, are we sort of leaving behind all these legacy characters? Mm. Um, so I'm glad that they sort of brought at least one back. Mm-hmm. And, he, and Chris is pretty central. I mean, he's the brother of Claire and he's partners with Jill. Um, and he's Leon's bro, frenemy, I guess. So it makes sense. Uh, and, and I think it provides a sort of different type of gameplay um, than Ethan, even if it's essentially the same interface. Yeah. I felt more comfortable certainly playing as Chris when you have like oh, 500 bullets or whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, this is lovely. And then there are all these <laughs> weapon drops that you're finding. Yeah. I would say it's only a plot twist in the fact that when Ethan got killed, I thought he was killed. I thought, oh, oh my gosh, that's the end. And now you're going <laughs> to boss battle it out with Chris. Yeah. So I was, I felt like it was a plot twist, at least to, to me. But then I, wanted almost Ethan to be the one to take down Miranda because I thought, man, you've been with him for 75% of this game. Mm-hmm. Is he not going to be the one to get his daughter back and defeat Miranda and all that? So it may, I think they use Chris at a, a great time and then give it back to Ethan at a good time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like his redesign? People did not like his little mug in uh, Resident Evil seven when he popped up at the end in the Bayou. <laughs> He looks a little off. I mean, he looks a lot different than he used to in five and six because he's been pretty consistent, I feel like. And this is pretty radical departure. So I, I, I prefer his eight model a lot better. Yeah, he is a he's a bulky guy. I mean, he he punched a boulder. So <laughs> I feel like he needs to to be the, the one on the right rather than the one on the left. Mm-hmm. And then I think you have more experience with him than I do. So I can't really comment on this, but just... His character, do you feel like it's in line with what you've seen before? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a very moral, someone say boring character, but I don't know, I kind of like him. And it's funny because the one of the DLCs for Resident Evil 7 was called Not a Hero, um, which I just, mm. I laughed at the first time I saw that because I remember in the beginning of Resident Evil 6, um, what I saw of that game, he was in a bar and some, like one of his like rookie team members came up to him and he was trying to get him to do something. He was like, no, I'm drunk and um, PTSD. And now they're like, oh, it's, he's darkened now. Like he's seen too much. Um, and then going into seven and eight, it's like, oh my gosh, maybe he's turned to villainy. Yeah. Um, but no, he just, he's bad at explaining things to people. <laughs> I know. Even one of his 
fellow soldiers in the in the wolfhound said like you should have explained to ethan he's like i know i should i'm like oh yeah that would have solved so many problems sir Uh, yeah no there's no time (laughs) do you think there would have been a fan outcry had he really been villainous I mean, that happens sometimes, right? I mean, when Captain America was part of Hydra, when I, don't know, I thought there was another example in video games, but yeah, I, I think that people probably would have been upset because they've identified with him. And, you know, it's just like when, when Joel died, people get really attached. Yeah. Well, shout out to our mutual boyfriend. It's like when Cassandra Kane was turned <laughs> villainous as well. So, oh, so I'm sure people- he took that well. People have it. Oh boy. No, he did not. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're wrapping up now. So we'll talk about the end. What do you think happened? Is Ethan dead, dead? I know because we didn't see him actually die. Uh, It was a sort of Eisenstein suggestion because we, in first person, he holds up the detonator and then later we see the explosion. You know, this is Resident Evil. So even if we saw him completely disintegrate in an explosion, I'd still say, I don't know, he could come back. Yeah. Um, but we we have that that time jump that we'll talk about next. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe it's possible. Maybe they finally decided that they've ran out of story to tell with Ethan. Yeah. I think the what I've learned from shows like Game of Thrones or I'm trying to think of anything else is that if you don't see the dead body. <laughs> There's yep. still a chance that they could come back potentially. I mean, I thought this is a way to go out for him. He he rescued his daughter. He's sacrificing for uh, his family and he's the hero in the end. And this is a nice little wrap up for him. So I would be fine if he were killed off, but I guess there's the potential for more. And we don't know. I mean, mold seems to be really resilient. So even though his hand was a bit messed up, he's used to that. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought about, I forgot a question. Maybe I'll come back to that. Can you remind <laughs> me to ask about continuity? I guess canon, canon endings. This was something that I wanted oh, to talk about and I completely forgot. I forgot to right. put that on a note. So we can talk about that. But there is a post credit scene with Rose. Rose is, I, there's no age given. She looked like she could be 18, maybe. I mean, she's oh, yeah, an agent, 16. so hopefully she's an <laughs> adult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she is powerful. A joke was made. The agent called her Evelyn, and she took umbrage at that. But she seems to be really powerful somehow, which I have another point. Remind me to ask a question about <laughs> alien Prometheus, but it's really just called Prometheus. But I have a point oh. to a connection with that. Wow. So she gets in the vehicle and then they're driving and I'm like, okay, goodbye. And then (laughs) (laughs) it stops and there's a figure and you're like, who is this figure? There's no way. So there was found on photo mode mod by Otis underscore in (laughs) INF. So I did cite my work that was found on IGN that found that that the character model used was Ethan. So they were somehow able to like zoom out and like, there he is with his dead looking eyes. So do you think it could be Ethan that pops up there or are they just using that character, you know, model and no one was ever supposed to see it that way as what do you think? Wow. I mean, I'm sure the developers anticipated the possibility for people to go into the game and find that model. 
So in that sense, I think he was used on purpose, but it might've just been for the purpose of creating ambiguity, like the ending of Blade Runner. Um, Because what does it mean if it is Ethan? Uh, I suppose that's what we've been talking about, that he could come back. Obviously, I think we're both pretty resigned on the question of whether we want him back because it seems like, you know, this could be a new start and I'm fine transitioning to Rose as a main character or just Chris or somebody. But it's also, this is a game where they had established uh, hallucinations and things like that. So who knows? And it's said that the father's story was done. Right. You know, at the end. So it seems like what part could he play if it's Rose's story would be Mm. my question, unless... You're playing as her and then she gets into some trouble and he pops up and helps her out. But you're I'm just thinking, why would I choose him to save her over Chris Redfield or something (laughs) like that? So I I don't know, except for reuniting and creating that family. I don't know how it would help to have him in Rose's story. Right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that she was really really dedicated to him. She seems to go regularly and visit him. It's yeah. kind of because she didn't, she never knew him really. Yeah. Um, so she was just told how awesome he was. And I wonder if that will play into sort of like the mythology of fatherhood, that it's really just about sacrifice and not actually being a father because that's not what mm-hmm. fatherhood is. So I don't know, but it's, you know, he got his wish. He saved her. Yeah. Good guy. Unless there's something, yeah, sort of supernatural, I guess, with the connection that they had. Oh, really? I don't know, with her being separated and I don't know. And the the molt. So my connection with Prometheus is, have you seen Prometheus? Unfortunately, I've seen Prometheus. It's not all that bad. I like yes, uh, Numi. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I like uh, Numi Rapace? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. So this is the connection. So if you recall, her beloved had there is the infection was inside of him. Yes. And then they became pelvic affiliates. (laughs) (laughs) She became pregnant with the non xenomorph xenomorph. And Mm -hmm. instead of it being a, a chest burster, she had to undergo basically a C-section. Remember that? That was an intense scene. Oh, it really was. It really was. But I wonder, is that how Rose was created? Because if he was a mold? Yeah. I don't know. Did you think about that? Is it weird for me to think about that? If he were a mold, how was she conceived? And Mia knew all along. Mia knew that he was special, which was interesting, or knew all about him. I don't know. I don't know what my question is, but... (laughs) (laughs) So Mia wasn't pregnant before uh, Ethan was infected. She, no, they were, because was three years passed after the bayou. Oh, right, 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 right. So okay, after yeah, they survived sense. Louisiana, then she became impregnated, which I right, guess was to move to the village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I immediately thought about like advanced aging because I was like, but they really have put a, like a significant time jump into the, into the game series like this. Um, maybe there's another way to do that. Um, so it's possible that she is, well, I mean, she's definitely something uh, in terms of like whether or not it's specifically a mold. Um, she has that sort of supernatural power. So, yeah, I guess it would just be that that she was conceived and she could be this sort of first like the generation of zombies that was um, this, uh, you know, she was created at birth or whatever. She wasn't infected. She yeah. was sort of born that way, yeah. like Lady Gaga. Like Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, I guess that's so she's part mold. That was really the how she was able to be separated in total canisters, I guess. Mm-hmm. So then I, I just wonder if there's like literally a piece of Ethan in her. And, and maybe that's why that connection is so, so strong. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that could be. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did forget to talk about canon. I also wanted to applaud the animation of the, the fairy tale. I really love that. And I think it sets the stage for everything because the four things that the little girl meets seem similar to the, the four Lords, but I really liked it. It also reminded me of the deathly hollows, that story and how they animated it. But uh, do you have any, did you like that animation style? I thought it was pretty cool. Interesting. The invocation of a fairy tale sort of, it it really does set a tone and it, it, it immediately draws thematic attention to storytelling itself which we've referenced every now and again but i still i I don't know i don't know the whole picture or the whole whole scope there so i can't really say yeah and they saved the ending of that story until you beat the game because you see that the father actually sacrificed himself which would have been giving it away foreshadowing but i wonder if you could have gotten away with it and just shown it and seen what would have happened Okay, the canon question, which I should have asked way earlier, is something that happens in RE7, where you are given a choice as a player to either save Mia or Zoe. That's Zoe. her name. Yeah. And Zoe's been helping you throughout the game to, to find different things. And I personally picked Mia because I thought, well, she's my wife, even though she lied <laughs> to me. And Zoe was just this other person. But some people choose Zoe. Unfortunately, Zoe, I think, dies no matter what. But if you don't save Mia, then you're just going home on your helicopter ride wow. alone. But if you save Mia, you're separated, but then you see her in the end. So this is a question that I've just been thinking about in terms of gaming and as generations progress, people who chose Zoe, they don't, that choice is taken away from them in playing this game because Mia's yeah. alive. She survived. So do you, th- I don't know if this is like too big of a question now, but do you think there should have been the option or is it just too hard to craft that? Could they have had something in the beginning where, oh, Mia was found alive just for those people that still had a save <laughs> file? Is this too much? Is this too much to expect? Or is it something that maybe we could hope for for future generations of games that they do take? If there's a choice, you make that choice valued. And so if the players are, I'm just thinking of like Ghost of Tsushima, there's a huge choice at the end. And if there's a second one, I would love for my choice that I made at the end to carry on and have repercussions in the second one. Any thoughts on that? And I guess that's a huge question, but yeah. You know, I really thought that player choice in that would was also going to be trendy after Mass Effect, especially, mm. but it seems to persist in strange ways. Because this isn't the first time that you've had a reset after a, a canonical ending. I mean, Dishonored did that. You could, I think, the main character of the second Dishonored game could die in the first one. Um, so obviously, you know, that's that had to be erased. Um, and then I think one of the better examples is probably the new Wolfenstein games, where in the beginning, you have this choice between saving two or one of two characters who's about to be executed. And that carries into the, the sequel. So that's pretty interesting because that's a lot of like, voice acting that wouldn't be experienced by half the player base but it's also narrative because it really makes you hate this you know nazi guy who you probably would have hated anyway but um in this case in resident evil village it's like or resident evil 7 
biohazard. It's we, like that choice. It seems it's not quite the same because why wouldn't you pick me? It's basically the same as the end of Far Cry Three, where you could choose to kill your own girlfriend for some reason. Um, and like, why would anybody do that? So I don't know. Yeah, that was a. I think I've seen a video of like. Yeah. Doesn't he then have like a sacrificial sex scene or something? And yeah, he and he gets killed nonetheless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Weird. Oh boy, very weird. But yeah, so that's the it. It has to be me in order for this to work. But mm-hmm. I just wonder if there is a way for that Zoe choice to pop up and oh Mia, we found Mia. Da da da. I don't know. Even just mm-hmm. like a little tagline, but maybe right. the future, the future of gaming mm-hmm. somehow. Okay, so final questions. Uh, one of them, how does this rank as an, a Resident Evil game for you? <laughs> you know, for all of its problematic aspects, I, I did really like 5. Um, but I think it's just because it was a co-op game. And I really, that was my, that was always my favorite part of video games was couch co-op. Um, and that's a surprisingly um, very good looking game for its time. Like for whatever reason, every now and again on the 360, there'd just be these really gorgeous games that look good even now, like Halo 3. And this one seemed interesting, but it was definitely a different gameplay style um, than what I'm used to. So um, if I had been more, you know, rocky, uh, you know, training in the mountains and I really went through the whole thing and as you did, then maybe I could have arrived here more prepared um, but I kind of, I half knew what I was getting into. Like, there's a chance I don't finish this game because that's what happens with most games in me, unfortunately. Yeah. So I would say two, it comes in second. It comes in second. Okay. I liked this more than seven, but I think it's probably third in terms of the four games that I've played. Yeah. So I think maybe I would put two first and then three and two and three, they just have replay value. Which right. I don't know if that was the intention of having them shorter, but I lo- I played two four different times because there's an A and B path for each character, and I didn't feel like I was slogging through it or uninterested at all, even though it was well trod territory and and I could find things easily by the fourth time. But <laughs> I enjoyed it, and and I'm in, I'm about to finish my second playthrough of three, and and I've been having fun. So I guess yeah. I don't know. Whereas I did not play, I sent it back to Gamefly. So I did not play the, uh, the new game plus. Oh. I wonder what that would have been like to, to play with, with Ethan again, but it's just, I don't know. It's unappealing to think, Oh, I've got to be with him for 10 more I hours <laughs> to be honest. So even, yeah. you know, trophy hunter, I'd be like, mm, I don't think so. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, if only you could turn off his commentary, that would be nice. Oh. Yeah, it's very true. Well, you had the the last bunch of of questions here about what does Resident Evil mean to you? So do you want to take the lead on that? Yeah, I think this will be my final question because we sort of talked about like the influences of this game. But what does Resident Evil mean to you? Um, As I've written here, uh, (laughs) let's see. I don't know if I just want to say all this. Uh, We've seen the American movies. You've played the remakes. This is a notoriously strange series constantly reinventing itself. But now with the remakes and direct continuity and tone between seven and eight is a singular shape emerging. Will there be space in the future for weird Matrix Kung Fu or Alice clones? The strangeness of eight indicates it's a possibility um, that we haven't lost its heart. But I don't know what like what what is the essence of Resident Evil to you? 
Yeah, that's funny that you just boiled it down like that because I, I, in my bullet points, I was like, what would you say defines a Resident Evil game for sure? Yeah. I, for me, there's always science involved. And I think there does need to be some sort of virus. So when we had the I, werewolves and vampires are great, but I thought, how does this connect yeah. to bioweapons and all of that stuff? So I think that needs to, I would like it to be there. I guess it shouldn't need to, but that's what defines a Resident Evil game for me. And I think Joe Schmo antagonists are fine, not antagonists, protagonists are fine because I think now Claire is Joe Schmo. She's just looking <laughs> for her brother. She has no training, but she's doing okay. And I think it still needs to have a melding of horror and action. I, I don't think we can get, I think you were probably being tongue in cheek there with weird Matrix Kung Fu or Alice clones. But I feel like once you get to just complete action and there's no anticipatory dread or just straight out horror, I think you've lost what Resident Evil is so well known for and, and really is the the mother of all of the these horror action adventure, just survival horror games that have have bred off of it. Mm, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I guess my problem with the way that this franchise works really um is just the the odd sort of storytelling because my my perception of it is always that you play 90 percent of the game inside this like tiny pocket of what's happening and then the last 10 percent is that sort of heisenberg style exposition dump yeah. where it's like oh this is what's happening so in total you get that 10 percent each time and eventually that adds up to 100 but you're still spending most of your time like poking at clocks and putting masks on statues and that's not storytelling yeah or is it is that, you know, to me, is that the essence of the of Resident Evil? And I don't know. I don't have enough experience with it, but I do like that Resident Evil is broad enough that it can contain, like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that fight between Ada Wong and the president of a European country in Resident Evil Vendetta, I think it is, one of the CG animated movies. Mm. Um, and there's all sorts of strange stuff, like the, like, Mr. X, like, battling liquors, and it looks it's like bullet time liquors and stuff, and it's it's dumb. But it's it's a game that can sort of do both. And the problem that I saw, not, not the problem, but the trend that I read into the remakes was that it was, like, sort of, like, narrowing the scope of what Resident Evil was supposed to be, that it was supposed mm. to be more like Resident Evil 4 um, than anything else. But, but 8 makes me think that they're still being weird, um, whereas Sevens felt sort of leached of that sort of character that I was expecting, I think. Yeah. So they don't like the the remakes, just to understand what you're They don't like what the remakes have been doing in terms of um, puzzling or? I Honestly, I think it's just the gameplay that it was well, not, not, I don't think it's any particular element. It's just the idea of the remake project, I suppose, oh. um, that it's sort of like taking something and like saying, but this is what it's supposed to be like suddenly that metatextual narrative enters in and it does make me a little bit worried, but they're still doing this like strange experiment with first person. And so there's all sorts of different, like, and, and multiplayer, there's constantly resident multiplayer that they keep trying to do. So yeah. um, no matter what you like, you can probably, there's a resident Evil game for you. Yeah. You can probably find it. It is interesting. I guess when you bring up the the topics of remakes versus this new line of things, it's almost as if our hearts, I guess, are being split. Like, which way do we go? I 
personally would prefer them to continue doing the remakes if only because I want to experience the classics with beautiful graphics. And then they've had time to look back and reevaluate so they could clean up, you know, stories and things like that. Mm -hmm. But also I understand people wanting new things as well. Yeah. Uh, With the, with, I don't know what the original one did, but did it have puzzling? The Resident Evil 1? Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe. Original. I think there were some scarabs you had to put onto doors and things like that. Okay. <laughs> so we can't lose that, I suppose, if it's there in the in the beginning. Right. There has to be heightened danger to the, the puzzling, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, is there anything else you would like to say about Resident Evil Village? Yeah. I, I do feel bad that I wasn't uh, that I couldn't finish the game um, for some backstory. I've been struggling to uh, move out of this apartment that I've been living in for the last six years. So I've accumulated a lot of stuff um, and that's just hasn't left a lot of time for things, but I, hopefully it created an interesting dynamic where in you finish the game and I watched the game because one of the things with the last of us was how valuable is the experience of play itself. And a lot of people would sort of debate that. And so in Resident Evil, in the case of Resident Evil, like, I guess my question is like, is the experience of not playing it, but watching it like legitimate? Do you Mm. think? I'll say yes. Sorry, (laughs) I had had to think. think. (laughs) I'll say yes, but you're, you just won't feel what I, I don't think that you felt what I felt when I was in Donna's house. So I think that's the only thing because you are, basically where I am in comfort level of, I love to see my little player so that there's the zombie, the, the, the character, and then me rather than the zombie and then me, but you're there. That's, that gives you, you're a degree removal. So, or removed. So that way you can feel some comfort, but I watched the DLC for RE7 or as much as I could, I could only stomach so much where, (laughs) Oh, I can't remember what the son's name is was. Well, it was the cameraman and he it was basically a bunch of saw business. It was too much. But I was just interested in like, oh, what's this poor cameraman? Does he survive? He doesn't. But it's just terrible. Well, he gets blown up in the actual game on a videotape. But yeah, so that was like totally enough for me of like, I'm watching them play 21. And if they lose a hand, they're losing a finger. It's like, this is too much. But just, yeah, I think watching RE8, maybe for a good, I don't know, what do you think? 50, 50 to 60%. I think you could get like, yeah, I get the whole feel of it. But it's like Donna's house and maybe yeah. also the, the suspense of Lady D chasing after you that you really have to be able to to play and and feel that if you want to feel it, but if you want to stay removed from it, then then do it. But I I don't know if it's as cinematic as say Last of Us because right. I think that story isn't there. Mm-hmm. The story is not as compelling as as other games. I, I think that it's definitely escapism for me. It's it's not superficial, but it's not like oh man, let's really pull this apart. Look at all the symbolism. What does this mean? You know, I, I don't yeah. see Resident Evil and I don't want to offend anyone, but I, I don't know if that's the point of Resident Evil to have this huge 
we're we're trying to have some sort of commentary on something big. And we've brought some things up that, oh, could this be a commentary on? But I don't know right. if that's the intention <laughs> of it. Right. Yeah. Whereas in The Last of Us, you would never ask that question like, oh, are they trying to talk about like agency <laughs> and fatherhood? Yeah. Resident Evil is funny that way because it, it almost feels uh, reckless in a sense uh, in terms of the way the story is rolled out, um, that it is in pieces and you're never really... You never really feel like, well, in this case, at least you don't feel like the main character in the story. Um, you're just Ethan. But at the same time, like I look at a character like Strom, I think I would call him Strom, who's got this propeller. And it's just like, it's just like, there's a lot visually going on here um, that I really like about it. And that's still what draws me to Resident mm-hmm. Evil. Um, and then, but I think that like the recklessness is kind of a symptom of that larger, like unhinged creativity that um, they are doing something different than The Last of Us, which is you know, more specific uh, and more deliberate about story, but there's not a lot to see other than the Rat King, of course, which, you know, comes late. Yeah. <laughs> You're very true. Yep. Well, I think that's it for me. Do you have anything else? No, I, I think I'm good. Just feeling a little torn. But other than that, I think I'm probably good. Okay. If you given the choice between another remake or continuing this story, which would you prefer? Hmm. I'm, I'd always go for story and sequel. Like I'm not too interested in prequels or I guess retreading, but I, I haven't tried the remake. So I would like to, it's funny cause I, I really want to play three just cause I like Nemesis, but I'd probably have to start with two. Um, but it would probably also just be too intense for me. If I couldn't handle the baby, could I handle Mr. X? I think you, uh, well, I think they're completely different. Mr. X (laughs) is a fellow that would get along with Lady D because he's fancy too. He's got a little top hat, top hat. So, yeah. Well, I guess I retrod territory. And it's it's interesting because whenever they say that we're going to remake such and such, like they're remaking Gossip Girl, that sort of thing. I'm like, give me a break. We just had this. (laughs) So I wonder if that's what Resident Evil fans are also thinking. But for the remakes, I mean, that's my that's my first time with the the Resident Evil. So for me, I I love it. And and I want to be able to play these on the newest console and, and experience them and fall in love with them as other people have. And so that's me, but that's also because I'm more interested in those particular characters than I am Ethan. So (laughs) I'll give Rose a shot when she comes out, whatever her story may be. And hopefully it's, we've seen her face. So I wonder if it'll be first person or third. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. I would, I would hope third. The first person thing was just an Ethan thing. Yeah. I wonder if Resident Evil 9 will be like control and she'll have those sorts of abilities. Ooh, that'd be cool. Like, that'd be like Alice. Faden or whatever her name. Yeah, like Alice. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of those Alices. Okay, well, do you want to represent Quinoa and say where you can be found, <laughs> where you can be found, where people can support you? Yes, this is a this is a podcast that should not happen because technically we're in a, the middle of a feud. So I'll call it a ceasefire um, because I am on the treacherous questions. We don't have answers podcasts with our mutual boyfriend, Donovan Morgan Krantz. Um, And since Donovan did such a good job explaining my CV last time, I guess I should say that he is also a uh, writer um, of Batman materials in that he covers Nightwing for the Batman universe frequently and he is a proud bookseller 
at the old BNN down in Nashville. You go visit him. He'll give you some uh, very curated recommendations. Um, and he's a very cool guy. You know, he saved my dog from a house fire. He, wow. um, he was my best man at my third wedding. <laughs> he's, he's a really good guy. I wish you could say that with a straight face. Um, and our, <laughs> our podcast is about uh, social issues. And depending on when this goes up, we're probably going to be talking about um, Pride Month, which I suppose it is Ooh, at the moment. Yeah, it sure is. Mm-hmm. Where can you find that? You can find us at QNOAnswers.com. We're also on the iTunes store. And we're probably in Stella's mentions. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Okay. And where can they find you on the socials? Oh, you can find me at Harrison Shoots and just look for Tayon giving you the bird, which I can't actually do <laughs> on this broadcast. On this podcast. Well, <laughs> I did say some bad words. So they'll probably have I know. Some. Yeah, I know. Well, just one. Uh, okay. Well, I so appreciate you coming on and doing this with me i kind of manipulated you into it so well i think we we had been talking about this for a while um and it was definitely a a highlight of my year because but i just i just wish i was more prepared but next time we we certainly will be on the same page for whatever we do next we will we will are we still keeping that under wraps yes (laughs) (laughs) and it'll be more uplifting Oh, absolutely. And you're in charge of that. So I'm not worried about that. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) you. Uh, We're doing a crossover. I guess we're both in charge. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Okay. Well, people remember you can send any questions or comments to backroll.oracle at gmail.com. Like the uh, show on Facebook and Twitter and follow it at backroll.oracle. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And of course, YouTube, which you might be watching right now. You can find Backroll the Oracle. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Robert Gordon podcast. Thank you, Harry, <laughs> for not getting trod on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> for not getting trod on by Lady D and being here with us today. Mm-hmm. I know. I really didn't uh, really didn't go into that, which is good because I probably it's just like you and Ethan. It just wouldn't have stopped. So yeah, <laughs> you never would have left. <laughs> and until next time, which will be with our mutual boyfriend, Donovan Morgan Grant, <gasps> where we cover Cass, the clima- climactic fight between Cassandra Kane and Lady Shiva. Wow. Until then, fly on Babs lovers and Lady Dimitrescu lovers as well. <laughs> Goodbye. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. (sighs) I love a happy ending, don't you? Ethan, go! Save your daughter! Lena, don't give up! Reach for me! Damn it! Why is everyone dying on me? This is just too much. I just don't get it.
this place is going mad. Why the fuck is this happening again? Ah, shit! <laughs> 